I dreamed of power with my youth. I paid, I spent my youth, each filthy hour sharpening wit and sharpening sword, slaughtering coward and slaughtering lord. Welcome back, everybody. What you just heard in our intro was a really awesome song by Julia Eklar. Julia is the uh, the creator of the Wolf Riders Reflections songs that were featured on the CD. And the song that we just played a little clip of for you in the intro is called Troll King's Dream. And this is an unreleased song. So you're kind of you know getting it for the first time here. And you can download that and all of Julia's music at her website, which is prometheus-music.com. Dot com slash horse tamer. There's a few other unreleased ElfQuest songs, so it's pretty awesome, don't you think, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. That's really cool that uh, that she uh, allowed us to use this song, and uh, yeah, it was great. That's awesome. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we uh, we gave um, Slammerkin some love in one of our uh, previous episodes, so we wanted to make sure that we were covering our bases <laughs> ElfQuest music-wise and giving Julia a little bit of airtime as well. And if you are patient and can listen to us for however long this episode is going to take to record, we're going to play the full song at the very end of this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll edit the uh, the full version right at the very end, so uh, we can all hear the full song. Awesome. And what, yeah. what I what I think is actually really cool is how different styles of music between someone like Julia and and someone like the band Slammerkin are when it comes to making ElfQuest music. And it, you know, it just goes to show you that uh, for ElfQuest fandom, no matter what our creative bent is or what our style is, you know, we can still find ways of of celebrating ElfQuest through our own unique creativity. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, Julia's music is more along the lines of, I think, what is called filk right. music. And then we've got Slammerkin, which is uh, more contemporary sort of um, pop Yeah, music, pop right? modern, yeah. electronica almost, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so if you guys have any other ElfQuest musicians out there, definitely let us know. Uh, post it in the comments on soundcloud or share with us on facebook because we'd love to hear it and maybe we'll um even get to feature you too if you have created some ElfQuest uh music that nobody else knows about yet so let yeah, us know yeah i mean this has been kind of neat right being able to play ElfQuest um themed music at the beginning of uh, the shows or at the end uh as opposed to just our general intro that we have it's kind of cool to feature these these fans who have created uh you know musical um uh uh Interpretations. You know, yeah, interpretations of, of the story. So it's really Yeah, neat. for sure. Yeah. And you know, it strikes me too that it's kind of a unique opportunity because you know, ElfQuest is a generally a printed or in you know, an online medium, but it's visual, it's not um, audio. Mm-hmm. And so by doing this podcast we can kind of weave in that audio functionality, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, before we dive into the delicious meat of Final Quest number, um, what are we on? Number 16. Uh, 16. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to keep track. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple other things I wanted to just give shout outs for. Um, one is our 
um, our friend Mandy Roncolio Meyer, who is um, a, an ElfQuest collector super fan. She is the creator of the ElfQuest Collectors Unite Facebook group. And if you're on any of the Facebook groups, you know who Mandy is because she is such a great resource for all of us who are trying to build up our, our collections. Um, she's launched a companion YouTube channel to the ElfQuest Collectors uh, Facebook group called the ElfQuest Collectors Guide. And it's pretty awesome. Uh, Mandy basically shoots videos with the help of her husband, Adam, about Elf, you know, ElfQuest items. So obviously she's focusing on things like comics, and she's done videos already on Fantasy Quarterly Number 1 and the original Warp Graphics run of ElfQuest. But she's also done cool unboxing videos um, and videos featuring various ElfQuest products like um, the, the new Redbubble ElfQuest products, uh, T-shirts and things like that. And she really – her most recent one is a an unboxing video of the poster – that Wendy and Richard produced to support my organization, my, my real job, my day job, is um, I work for the National Wildlife Federation to promote wildlife conservation. And we have this really awesome project going on right now in California to try to build a bridge over uh, a, a wildlife overpass over this really busy highway, the, the 101 freeway, that is really dangerous for wildlife. Mm-hmm. And we have to raise like $30 million. And so wow. Wendy and Richard – amazing people that they are wanted to help that cause and so wendy did a um, an exclusive illustration of p22 who's the mountain lion that lives right in griffith park right in los angeles right in the middle of the city and who's the poster child for the need to give wildlife opportunities to to connect to their wild habitat so they don't get trapped in our urban um in our urban areas and so at any rate Mandy's latest video, she very generously purchased the, the, the print, which Wendy is personally signing. There's only a hundred of them that were made and we're probably only have about 80 of them left. There are a hundred bucks each. I know it's not cheap, but it's also the goal is to be a fundraiser to go to support this program. So you can get a look at what you'll get. If you watch Mandy's video on the ElfQuest Collector's Guide YouTube channel, which has also recently been featured on the ElfQuest homepage. So go check it out. Go check out the poster. Check out Mandy's YouTube channel. And hopefully you'll want to buy one of these really awesome destined to be a collector's item because, again, there's only 100 of the signed copies that are available um, poster of the P-22 Mountain Lion that will go to support the National Wildlife Federation's conservation work. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have yet to see any of uh, Mandy's videos, but uh, let's include a link in the um, when, when we post this uh, podcast. Yeah. I will definitely do that. I will definitely do that. Um, all right, and then the last other little bits of uh, of news, I guess, that I wanted to share before we start talking about the story are that you know if you haven't already, be on the lookout and and do your pre order for the complete ElfQuest Volume Three coming out from Dark Horse this November. This is the collection of the ElfQuest archive in print, and the previous two editions, the Volume 1 collected the entire uh, original ElfQuest run, so what we used to think of as books 1 through 4. Volume 2 collected the Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel storylines, and both of those collected them in the original black and white, how they were first published. This third volume picks up where Kings of the Broken Wheel ended, and it's a collection of the Hidden Years stories, the first five Hidden Years issues, as the Dreamtime story. And there might be some other stuff in there as well. I'm not sure, for for sure. But the really neat thing about this one is that because those first five issues of Hidden Years, remember, those are the ones that Wendy hand-painted in watercolor, um, just totally gorgeous. 
And um, Richard, I think, really felt that in order to do them justice, they really could not be printed in black and white. So he convinced Dark Horse to break from their tradition with these omnibus graphic novel reprint editions that collect backstories, which generally are done in black and white. He convinced them to print those stories, those first five issues of Hidden Years, in full color. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the first time that these things are in print, collected in one volume, um, in a long time. I mean, in, in the 90s, Warp Graphics put out a collected edition, but that's way out of print. So mm -hmm. that's coming. That'll be out in November. So make sure you pre-order it. And then the last, very last thing is if you didn't hear already, the Flesk Publications book, one of the three big art books, the last one that um, has yet to be published is called The Line of Beauty, The Art of Wendy Peeney that looks at her non-ElfQuest art. Um, and that was originally supposed to be out, um, I think, around now or sometime before the end of the year. And they have pushed back the deadline on that because Richard was finding so much good stuff that – he couldn't pick. And so he yeah. needed more time to really make the best book possible. And I think I speak for everybody when, when I say, um, you know, we're happy to wait a little bit longer in order to get an even better book. So just wanted to remind folks about that. If you hadn't seen that um, and you were watching your mailbox eagerly, just be a little bit more patient. And I think the new release date, I think, is April of 2017. So not not too far. Excellent. Amazing. I'm looking forward to all of those. Do you know, by chance, if the... Um Volume three with the reprinted Hidden Years one to five. If the paper stock is going to be different for those specific issues within the uh, the volume itself, I don't. But my no. guess is that the whole book will have to be printed on the same paper, and so I think it's going to be something that maybe is imperceptible to the reader. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know. Maybe the page, the paper stock might be a little bit different from the black and white printed books. But my guess is that even the black and white stories will still be done on the same process and the same paper within that book, if that makes sense. So in mm -hmm. other words, Dreamtime um, will also kind of follow the same printing process. And, you know, that's actually an interesting question, because if any of you guys were lucky enough to go to Columbia University and either see the exhibit that they had on ElfQuest a few years back or just access the entire ElfQuest archive, which now lives there, available for anybody to go and check out and, and see in person. If you look at the original art from Dreamtime, Wendy actually used a lot of like gray washes mm -hmm. that really didn't show up in the printed comic or the, you know, any collections that that has been in. Um, it looks more black and white and, and honestly, maybe even a little bit of a muddy gray, but there, the, she used different shades of gray. One of them is almost like a blue wash that right. you can only see in the original art. And so I'm wondering if in this new collection that we might actually get to see some of that. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. Um, what else is in that volume? Is it just hidden years one to five and then dream time? I, I think so, but if you give me half a second here, I am going to um, go on Amazon and see what it says, because I think I think that makes sense, because Volume 4 mm -hmm. has also already been announced, yeah. and that is going to come out next, next year, and that is going to pick up with Shards. Um, mm -hmm. So my guess is that, you know, this compilation will be the first five issues of Hidden Years, the, um, the Dreamtime. Um, series, which happens, you know, basically right after the ends of King, King, Kings of the Broken Wheel, which several of the hit, first five issues of Hidden Years do as well. And then I think it actually leads up to um, Hidden Years 9.5, 
which is the the big fight between Rayek and Cutter that kind of you know eventually clears the air and sets the stage for Shard. So let's right. see what it says here on Amazon. Um, it says, as far as the description of this book, it says pretty much nothing. It doesn't okay. say exactly what's in it. It just says, uh, experience the dreams of the wolf riders during their deep sleep as they await the passage of 10,000 years to reunite the tribes and enjoy the lavishly colored stories of the tribe's history. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, it might have been posted by Richard. What exactly is in there? I can't remember for sure. But I think, again, it says hidden years one through five. Dreamtime and Hidden Years 9.5, which is the big fight story between Cutter mm-hmm. and Rake. Mm-hmm. Well, that would make sense. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm really looking forward to, not just to this one, but to Volume Four as well, because from what I understand, uh, much of the artwork uh, by Brandon McKinney, uh, who illustrated Shards, is going to be um, sort of cleaned up. Yeah, essentially, uh, uh, is, I'm you know, eager to see what Dark Horse has done with his work. Well, my impression from from that comment that I think, you know, Wendy and or Richard might have made on social media is that it was less about the actual art, like the penciling and the inking and more about the coloring. Right. Because the coloring was actually pretty great. It was great watercolors. I think Suzanne Dechnik was the color, if I pronounce her name right. Um but when you reprint that colored work in black and white, mm-hmm. it became really, really muddy. And that's what we right. saw in the Warp Graphics complete Elfquest line that came out again in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. Um, and it didn't really, it didn't really present the art in its best possible light. And so my impression, um, and I don't know this for sure, but my impression from what Wendy has shared is that Dark Horse has figured out a way to you know, again, to sharpen that and to remove that sort of muddiness out of it. And right. um, so, yeah, so at the end of the day, I think the exciting thing is that no matter what, this is going to look different than any other presentation of this story that yeah. we've seen to date, either yeah. in the actual original comics or the collection. So, well, I'm wondering if it's going to be a separation then of the line art from the coloring so that what we're going to see is just the inking. Could be, could be. And right. I actually love that because, you know, I'm a fan of, of, you know, just black and white art. I'm particularly a fan of Wendy's black and white art. And this, of course, would not be that except for those last couple issues. But um, but I, I think that would be a, a great way to, you know, have go, to go about doing it to just kind of remove the colors altogether. I'm fascinated by the process that uh, is used for, you know, the production of volumes like this. So I would love it if Dark Horse made a, a video or something on YouTube uh, just mm-hmm. showing how they go about, you know, producing something like that. Like for Volume 4, for instance, I would love to see that process where they're separating right. the line art if, in fact, that's what they're doing from the coloring and, you know, cleaning it up. So. Yeah, that would be good. I have no Putting idea. Putting that out to Dark Horse, hopefully, yeah. you know, if they hear this. <laughs> right. I have no idea if they have, um, mm-hmm. you know, what that process to to kind of see in person. Um, mm-hmm. I'm actually still on Amazon, and I'm looking at the uh, volume four of the Complete Elf Quest from Dark Horse. And that does specify that it um, picks up with Hidden Years number 10 to 15, and then the Shard Saga. So that tells me that volume three does indeed go up to Hidden Years 9.5. Okay. That makes sense. Yes, confirmed. Yes. <laughs> Confirmation. Um, yeah, and if you remember those first, the uh, Hidden Years number 10 through 15 uh-huh. is essentially the prologue 
to the shard the saga. And in yeah. fact, I think those issues, the story arc presented in them might have been called shards because yeah. they pick up, that's right, you know, they pick up right with, um, Winnow Will essentially stealing the palace and it getting smashed into shards. Exactly. So, yes. Um, so lots of exciting stuff. You know, we continue to be in this amazing golden age of ElfQuest. We're getting new books, new compilations, new comics, you know, new stuff left and right. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of mind blowing. Um, so then, uh, volume four then won't be interspersed with uh, Ember Story and Hidden Years. Does it not will just sound be like shards. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to assume then that maybe the next volume will be those Hidden Years issues that tell yeah. Ember stories. I, I, that would we'll be see. my guess too, but I think mm-hmm. there's something really important to point out um, that I really haven't heard too much discussion about, mm-hmm. and that is something that um, Richard shared, and that was that in the editorial decision-making process for what was going to go into these omnibus books published by Dark Horse, you know, they're, they're faced with a choice of, do we try to make these like capture every single page of every single ElfQuest story, which presents certain challenges, right? Because you have stories that are happening, happening simultaneously with Mm -hmm. different artists. And how does that present? Like, say if you were to do like one issue of shards, one issue of hidden years, um, you know, how would that look as a final product? Then there are all sorts of other sidebar stories and, and whirlpool stories and things that may or may not be can include all of that. And so what Richard has said is that for the complete elf quest, they're really focusing on with dark horse. Anyway, with the complete elf quest with dark horse on the main, thrust of the ElfQuest saga, which is Cutter's tale and his hero's journey and the stories that are related to that directly okay. um, so that it leads you right into. And so my guess is, is that we probably won't see, you know, I think we probably will see Ember's sagas in, um, in hidden years and maybe later the wild hunt, but you know, whether or not we'll see something like, you know, the, the new blood stories and the forever green story arc in these collections, I and the blood of ten chiefs and things like that. I would be doubtful, honestly. Okay, no, that makes sense though. I yeah. mean, if you're just focusing on the main plot thread, which is Cutter's hero's journey, then you wouldn't need to um, republish those stories that weren't part of right. his hero's journey. At least mm-hmm. not directly. I mean, they they all mm-hmm. interrelate, obviously, but. Um, you know, so I think that makes good sense, and I think it probably, um, you know, again from an editorial point of view, is a wise choice, so that Richard doesn't pull, you know, his hair out trying to figure out how to fit all of this together because it's not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do. I mean, no. even on even on the website, um, in the digital EQ on on ElfQuest.com, there was a lot of discussion and thought put into how those stories were presented there, and. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I actually think that the way that they are presented there is a really good grouping of different stories um, that you can kind of read and, uh, and, and sort of understand ElfQuest in the best way. And it's not necessarily reading them either chronologically how they were published or chronologically in story time. Um, sometimes you just have to read one chunk and then you go and read the next chunk and it fills in some gaps that you might have missed the first time around. And all that means is that you just have to read it again. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> never a bad thing yeah all right so um i've been rattling on and on and on so i'm gonna turn it over to you ryan to kick us off on discussion of this new issue which is also delicious and filled with lots of great stuff so where do you want to start 
Okay, well, why don't we uh, start right at the beginning? Um, we open with Rayek and Ekwar and Two Edge, and uh, we have a little bit of a conflict here. Um, Rayek's been wrapped up in uh, preserver webbing, or uh, you know, uh, somewhat wrapped up. Um, he's very upset. Uh, he wants to. His whole modus operandi here is to go out and kill all these human. Um, war men who are headed towards Icehold. Uh, and then Ekwar uh, is extremely concerned about this and has uh, a task pedal wing with wrapping him up. Um, <laughs> and then we've got... How'd that go for you? Yeah, it didn't work out <laughs> so well. Uh, not surprisingly, um, Rayek gets extremely pissed off, and uh, then Winnowill gets involved. Um... So from there, we've got uh, this conflict, this uh, this small battle, I guess, or fight between these these four individuals. Um, Two Edge uh, throws his hammer at uh, at Rayek, and then uh, Rayek is able to stop the hammer mid flight and then throw it back at Two Edge. Uh, right. Yeah. Which that was is, sort of yeah. shades of, of Kings of the Broken Wheel when the the Frozen Mountain Trolls shot. The giant spear that they, uh, the same kind of spear that they oh, used to yeah. kill, kill Lord Ball when Rayek was mm. sort of in possession of all of the gliders and, um, and he was able to stop that. And I kind of thought it was sort of a similar kind of thing where, you know, Rayek in, in his sort of, you know, he's in the same mindset as he was back then when he was on the warpath trying to wipe out the gobacks. And he's so pissed that, like, I think that anger actually fuels his, his magical ability. And of course he has all of Windowill's power at his, you know, fingertips as well. And he was able to, you know, stop that hammer and flip it around and smash old two edge with it, seemingly breaking his ribs or some, mm -hmm. something, some damage. Well, serious damage because he ends up being, uh, encased in rap stuff yeah. by the end of this issue. Right. Uh, yeah. so I would assume that this is extremely serious. This, uh, this damage that he's incurred here, uh, internal bleeding or something, right. He's bleeding out of his nose and his mouth. Um, so Rayak hit him pretty hard, and it looks like he was hitting him with the intent to possibly kill him, um, yeah. or harm him pretty, pretty badly. Um, what I really, I, you know, I didn't even think of that now that you mentioned it with the, uh, the, the troll arrow and Rayak having turned it, you know, back on them, but good point. Um, good observation. Uh, but what I really like here is, um, Two Edge when he's, uh, after he's been hit with his own hammer, he's lying on the ground in pain. And he says uh, his his voice and hers together. Uh, it really conveys this um, this sense of this possession that Rayek's under with Winnowill, and they're both speaking at the same time. And I can almost hear that. I can hear it. Totally, totally. The, the sound of their two voices together, and it's very eerie and creepy. Uh, it, yeah. And I love how that is represented in the word bubbles. This is this is like comic art you know, sort of at its best where you, you take the, the pictures, you take the words and they come together to make a whole. And so, you know, if you like the way that, that Wendy and Richard have chosen to present the word bubbles when Rayek and Winnowill are speaking at once is different than when Rayek is speaking or frankly, when Winnowill is sort of spirit speaking, you know, it's, it's, there are these sort of, you know, deep purple red lined word bubbles. And, um, it's just, you know, again, it's a great 
uh, masterful use of the of the art form of sequential art in my mind. Absolutely. I mean, ElfQuest has always been sort of comic book 101, right? Yeah. Uh, for any comic book artist, I think this would be a, a lesson in how to do comic books. Just the entire the entire library of ElfQuest books. Right. Yeah. Um, I got to say, I'm on Team Rayek. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do tell, because I was just about to tear into him. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, okay. There's an armada of warmen coming to kill the elves. Rayek has this power at his disposal. Why wouldn't you use it to stop them? I I don't understand. Like this whole idea that no, we have to be nice to the war men who want to kill us doesn't. Okay, so that's doesn't not fly with me. That's totally not what this is about, right? Because Tomain even says in the issue, "Go make war with them. Go kill them." You know that that's what 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 that's. Yeah, she all... she says that, but that's not what Equar is is saying. No, no, no. Hang on, hang on. Hear me out. Okay. So so it's not it's not a question of whether or not we want to defend ourselves or fight the humans or keep ourselves from being killed and just being all lovey dovey nice nice. That's not what they're saying. You know, in, in Timane's you know opinion, and you know echoed by by Sava and Venka is let's not use the palace because that will taint it. And the last time we had sort of, you know, aggression and fighting and hatred in this vessel, it tainted it. And that's what caused the crash. What the whole bit with Rayek is not that he wants to fight the humans. It's that he wants to do it and slaughter them, not just the ones that hurt Venka, but literally, you know, if he, he'll take out as many as he can. And he's doing it not for protection, but he's doing it for revenge. And I think there's a real difference there. You know, it's, it's, and, and, you know, and this is what I was just going to say. Um, Where does he say that he's doing it for revenge? Because I was, my understanding that is that he was doing this maybe partly for revenge, but also to protect all of the elves who are currently at, on right. ISO. Okay. But th- this is what I was going to say. Okay. Rayek might say and might even think at the surface level of his brain that he's doing this for noble reasons. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is do, he's doing it because he's pissed that they hurt Venka. And he does say that on multiple occasions. Um, and and, and Winnow will, I think most tellingly, uses that exact logic or that exact reason to fuel him when he's going on his rage. You know, get revenge for your daughter. That's what she says to him, and that's the most telling to me because she knows exactly what to say to push his buttons and exactly what's going to really be motivating him. Winnowill doesn't say, protect your kind in the palace, you know, sink the boats. She's like, get revenge on these jerks that hurt Venka. And that is what really fuels his fire. And again, I think that's just telling. Mm-hmm. Um, she does say, you're right, she does say, uh, trust that my joy is equal to yours as you avenge your daughter. This is later on in the issue when he's actually attacking them. Right. Okay, so... Fine, yes, partly he is out to enact vengeance against these war men who have who shot his daughter um with a with a gun and she almost died. Um but I don't understand <laughs> what the issue is. He knows what they're capable of. He's seen what they can do. Right. They almost killed his daughter. Right. He has a right to be upset. I don't I, no, I, I, go ahead. Okay, no, go ahead. <laughs> I feel like we're on CNN. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, and I think anyone would agree with that, including, you know, the, the Wolf Riders and, and in, even Equar, right? I mean, 
the humans are a threat and, and they need to be dealt with. They need to, something needs to be done to keep them from wantonly slaughtering all of the elves. I don't think that's the question. The question is, does that mean killing them in the most horrific way? Does that mean killing them at all? Like, do you have to do that? Like, can't you, you know, damage them, thwart them, hide from them? You know, there's a lot of other options on the table other than going and blasting them into literal chunks of dead flesh splashing in the water like we saw in that scene with Korofe. You know, I well, think let's that's examine what that like. then. What what are the other options that they have at this point? I mean, yes, they can leave the planet, right? Yeah, that's they, an option. Well, they can leave the planet. They can go mm-hmm. deeper into hiding, which seeming which is seeming to be less and less of an option. That's never gonna. That's not gonna work in the long run, though. Right. They can't keep hiding forever, and the humans keep spreading. So at some point, there is going to be either conflict or resolution. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, again, even if the if the go backs, I mean, another solution would be to, again, meet them in battle. Right. I I still think that that's different than what Rayek is doing, because what Rayek is doing is, again, it's motivated by revenge, not by protecting his people, even though he he'll he'll say that. I disagree with you, though. I think you're projecting onto him what you you think his motivations are. But that's not what he's. That's not necessarily what his motivation is. Well, actually, I'll I'll I'll, I'll Ray genuinely believes that what he's doing is for the the good of his people. But he mm-hmm. also believed that stealing the palace into the future was for the good of the people. Yes. You know, he mm-hmm. also believed that you know being possessive over Lita and trying to control her was you know for the her own good. And so I think that Ray's even when he is genuinely trying to do something, quote unquote, for the good of his people, mm-hmm. he he doesn't all have a very good track record of actually doing what is good for his people. And I think, you know, I I, I agree with you. Like, Ray does have an altruistic vein in him, right? It's just that it's so it's so um, tied to his own selfishness and his own sort of dark feelings. You know, again, revenge. I, you know, I'm going to sound like Yoda. I, I was just thinking hate, of revenge, all of that kind of yeah. stuff. And I think I think that's what Ekwar is representing in this story. Mm-hmm. If you take out the characters and just sort of boil it down to sort of uh, motivations, you know, Ekwar is saying, you know, yeah, we need to do something to protect ourselves from the humans, but going on a on a on a bloodbath, you know, slaughter, um, you know because you're pissed that they hurt your daughter is not in your best interest and it's not noble, I guess. And, you know, and I, and I, and I still would make the argument that there, there, there's a little bit of a difference between, again, the go backs meeting the humans and still maybe slaughtering them in war, um, you know, to defend the palace versus because they were pissed that somebody did something. And I'm not putting that past the go backs either, or even some of the wolf riders. Right. But again, I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of distilling out all of the, the the lessons learned over the course of Elfquest. I mean, think of in the in the mm-hmm. original Troll War for the palace, how how you know the point was made that Clearbrook and Scouter were were hungry for revenge, and that made them reckless, and it was damaging to them. You know, in mm-hmm. that first scene where they when they first get into the tunnels and they slaughter the trolls that were waiting outside the mine pit. If you remember that scene, and mm-hmm. and you know, it, it even you know you could see some of the wolf riders like cringing in the background as Clearbrook and Scouter were like gutting these t- pretty much defenseless trolls. And I think the message there was your motivation is is really important, and and what its ultimate impact on you is determined by that. So if you have a sort of a noble motivation, that's one thing. If you have a 
again, one of these dark side motivations, then that is a bad thing. And I, and, and I'm just kind of interpreting this issue and what's going on with Ray through the lens of all that. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, but I don't, I I disagree. I agree. Has a point that you do need to stop the humans and, and, you know, it gets into all these really interesting ethical questions, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, I agree that Rayek is obviously a flawed character and his motivations are not always, uh, you know, it's not, um, you know, good and bad. Like there's a lot of gray area when right. it comes to Rayek. Um, and yes, I also concede that, uh, partly he's motivated by this need to avenge his daughter, um, which I don't blame him for. No, I don't I either. Don't, I don't. I understand where it's coming from. Um, into the mix, we throw in Winnowill, right? And right. I'm still, to be honest, unclear on how much control she has over his motivation, his thought process. Uh, like, is she controlling him to some extent? Is he possessed to some degree? Um, that's where this throws in a bit of a shady gray area for me as well, because I'm wondering how much of this is her and how much of it is Rayek. Right. Uh, is he using her? Is he, you know, controlling her power? Are they working together? Is this a, you know, in tandem? Um, so that's partly where I'm a little bit, you know, not a hundred percent with Rayx motivations. Right. Yeah. But, but in light of the the current situation, which is an army of armed humans <laughs> with guns and warships and cannons and armor coming for the express purpose of killing the elves it's essentially genocide is what they want mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. you have somebody like rayak who has this power at his disposal and you're going to say no don't kill the, these humans who want to genocide us yeah i'm sorry i i take it I, I'm gonna side with Rayek on this one, regardless <laughs> of whether he's doing it out, of, it out of vengeance, partly, or whether it's partly Winnowill's motivation. I gotta, I gotta go with Rayek on this right. one. And also, then we've got Rayek, or sorry, Ekwar in the mix here, and I'm concerned about what his motivation is for trying to stop Rayek, because what he says here is, "Dear one, do not become a slayer of thousands. Do not let her win." Well. What is Ekwar's motivation? It sounds to me like Ekwar is more concerned about proving a point, which is you're stronger than Winnowill, as opposed to the issue at hand, which is a human army is coming to kill all of us. That's so funny because when I look at those two lines, you're like you, you're you're reading and emphasizing the second statement there. Do not let her win as as his motivation, mm-hmm. and. I'm when I read that I read it as do not become a slayer of thousands. That's his mm-hmm. to me. That's his motivation, and it fits with what I was saying a minute ago. Like I think the point being made here is that you can, you know, you can do something for the the, the greatest reasons and justifications, but if you do it from a dark place, you're hurting yourself. I think Ekwar is worried about Rayek's soul, and you know what happens to you when you commit an act like that. Mm-hmm. And what 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 repercussions on that? And and the do not let her win to me is simply him trying to make an argument that he knows will also resonate with Ray because you know Ray doesn't like to lose. So by saying that, I think Ekwar is trying to, in his own way, you know, manipulate Ray into hearing his his 
you know, his plea of like, don't become a mass murderer. I think there's a different, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm saying. And I think, I, mean, I think this is what Wendy and Richard are trying to say is that it's a choice between that there, there's a difference between defending yourself and, you know, fighting to survive and becoming a mass murderer. And, and what I was thinking a minute ago was, you know, I, I, I think, yes, like Rayek is in the right on some level, but like to make a, uh, that's why we don't use nuclear bombs, you know, like we could solve a lot of the dangers to any one group or, you know, a lot of political problems if we just nuked everybody, but we don't do that because we know on some level that morally that that's, that's even worse than, than other methods of doing that. And I think that's kind of, you know, maybe not a perfect analogy for what's going on here, but something along those lines that they're, they're, they're simply saying to Ray, like, yes, we need to protect ourselves, but the way that you're going about doing it is not the best way to do it for either for you or, you know, in the big picture. And, um, Oh shoot! I just had another thought. Oh, oh! I know what I was going to say. While you were talking, I thought of one other thing too. One other motivator. I don't. I, I think it's all of that stuff on why Ekwar and others are trying to dissuade Rake from going and just obliterating all of these humans. But the other really, really important piece that you can't forget is that they all are terrified that Rake is going to get himself killed in the process, and then they'll have to deal with Winnowill, you know, with no no filter. And that is, That's, of course, yeah. exactly what ends up happening. That's so true. I think yes. that's a big part mm-hmm. of their motivation, too. I mean, Ekwar loves Rayek. Others mm-hmm. might not love him as much, but none of them want him to go on this, you know, this potential suicide mission, you know, and end up dying. And then they'll all be have to be stuck with Winnowill's raging spirit. Right. Which I think ultimately is her motivation. Right. Yeah, for sure. Oh, she for wants sure. to get him killed. Yeah. So that she'll be free. And that goes um, to um, what you were saying about the, the question of who's in control. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really great question and really kind of fascinating to kind of chew on and think about. I mean, when I read this, I think I think it's a sliding scale. I think that's exactly pro- what I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it's flipping back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Constantly. Yeah. I, and, and this is the first time that we've kind of seen Winnowill um, be able to be present and powerful in tandem with Rayek. You know, usually it's like Rayek has forced her spirit to sleep and he's in total control or you know, like in Rogue's Curse, there, you know, the story that the comic series, there were instances where Winnowill kind of totally took over. Um, and, you know, this is just interesting because I think, again, it's kind of a sliding scale. And this seems to be the first time that Rayek is actually allowing her to have enough freedom to sort of be present while he's still in control. And, yeah, they're like totally blending. And I think you're totally right. I mean, this is one of the most fascinating kind of storylines and and character developments in ElfQuest because it's so like they the two of them are so manipulative of each other you know Rayek uses Winnowill for her power and she uses him to get her dirty work done so she can get her rush off of killing and they know exactly what to say to each other in order to all like masterfully manipulate each other it's kind of like that alone is just so fascinating to watch absolutely yeah, I mean th- this whole character dynamic between these two characters is is fascinating. Yeah, uh, and this this sort of um, evolution of their characters to where we're at right now uh, with Rayek having imprisoned Winnowill's spirit within him and how that has uh, evolved that relationship that they have with each other um, is is really interesting. Um, and you know, like like you say, like this who's in control right that is that is to me the most interesting aspect of 
these two characters at this point. Well, let's let's because it keeps me it keep it's keeping me guessing. Yeah, for sure. And and I'll, I'll say this for everybody that was like, oh well, we already know what's going to happen to Rick, and so it's kind of pointless to have him in Final Quest at the beginning. I, I think you should give it another shot because <laughs> Wendy and Richard have figured out a lot in terms of developing these two characters that we never would have thought about in between when we last saw them in shards and what we know eventually is going to happen in, in Rogue's curse. But I think that's mm-hmm. a, this is a great segue. Let's just skip to what ends up happening in this issue. Yeah. I was just thinking that why don't because we continue this with is... Ray story? Because in the, in this issue, sorry, <laughs> uh, we've got, we've got three storylines happening in this story. We have Ray uh, story. We have cutters, continuing story and then we have this brief interlude uh in the palace and that's it that's what's happening in this issue right um what i i'm just as a blanket statement i really like that about this issue because it focused on these uh two major storylines and Mm -hmm. then with this brief interlude it was it felt very focused and the trajectory on this issue i felt was very um strong yeah very straightforward yeah I agree, and I think the um, the trajectory of the of this, the the arc that we're in right now, we're sort of in the third act, if you will, of Final mm-hmm. Quest. And mm-hmm. you know, when when this is all done, and we go back and read it, I think that perspective adds uh, like so much more perspective and richness to the overall story. And I think you'll see this chunk has sort of been building. I think part of the goal of this third act is to sort of really narrow the focus. Yeah, the earlier parts of Final Quest, by necessity, had to cast a wide net and bring all these characters in from all these different storylines and wrap up the recognition storyline before they could really kind of kick off the meat of, of you know, what we're seeing right now with Cutter and everybody. And I think um, this third volume, I think, is going to start really wide and and march more narrowly, narrowing down the, the, the quests and the characters and everything. So... Um, mm-hmm. but getting back to Rayek, mm-hmm. you know, going back to the sort of, you know, who's in control and what are the motivations? I mean, this was a major, major development, what ends up happening. And before we get into, you know, anything to do with the wave dancers, right? Rayek attacks, he blows everybody up. Um, you know, he disembowels humans with <laughs> you know, his blasts and everything. Um, yeah. And I love that you laugh at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but, you know, he does, yeah. just like everybody feared. He gets himself shot fatally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it weren't for the fact that Skinback was there um, with the help of Du Bois, you know, they, <laughs> they wouldn't have saved him. <laughs> and, and and in that interlude, you know, Ray, or Winnowill has this you know encounter with Reef on the spirit realm, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about in a second. Mm-hmm. But the end result is that Winnowill is kind of she's rattled out of her own sort of, you know, dark mold, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we have this incredible moment of vulnerability between the two most invulnerable characters in the entirety of ElfQuest, Rayek and Winnowill. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's sweet. It's tender. And, you know, honestly, it's beautiful. For really? The first I mean, time, yeah. For the yeah. first time ever, I kind of understand where Rayek is coming from. Like I, like Winnowill didn't trust his love. You know, I just thought it was him being possessive and arrogant. But in this scene, it totally, I was like, oh my God, this is like on par with, with the Hidden Years 9.5 when Rayek says, you know, you haven't had enough when Rayek is beating the snot out, or when Cutter is beating the snot out of him. And mm-hmm. he basically thanks Cutter for raising Benka. Like, right. like the, the, 
like the gut punch and the heart squeezing. I feel that right here with this too. I mean, it's really mind blowing. And seeing Widow Will that vulnerable is also just whoa. So and, I think, and she, yeah, she really is. And he, he even says it here. He's sending to her, and he says, "Winnow will your soul laid bare. I see it startled into innocence as when you first beheld the palace." So that's a callback to uh, Kings of the Broken Wheel. Yes, right yep. when she when she was in the ocean and yep. she saw the palace. Um, but here, uh, even more so, I think, um, just visually the way her innocence is depicted, you can see her almost in the the time before Blue Mountain, right? Mm-hmm. Where we've seen glimpses of her. Uh, before her madness, right? Uh, it's it's. I think if she ha- isn't fully back to that state, she's the closest she's been in eons or right. millennia, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So part of me is, you know, I have this empathy towards Winnowill here and the two of them, and then I catch myself and I go, uh, wait a second, this is still the the lady who wanted to kill everybody and <laughs> wants to wipe everybody out. So, yeah. you know, it's hard to have, I mean, I can, I can empathize to a degree and then I catch myself and I go, yeah, I, I, I still remember what you did. Like, for can sure. they forgive her for that? Yeah. For well, what she's tried to do, even if she was fully healed, that's a really good, you know, uh, I think some, I think some how of the deep... elves could and would, and I think some of them yeah. wouldn't, you know, just sort of like real life. Yeah. I know, like, I yeah. would forgive her, but you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost like, would you forgive Hitler? No, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I think that, um, again, when I, when I read ElfQuest, like, I'm reading the story, and I'm in, for the, its enjoyment and the adventure, but I also try to always step back, and, you know, I've been reading it for 30 years and have learned so many, you know, kind of moral and life lessons from it, which sounds silly because it's just a little comic book, but I think I don't need to explain it to anybody here how 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 ElfQuest has that effect. And so when I think back in, you know, in that macro view, like what, like, what are we, like, what are we trying, like, what's the big takeaway here? Um, I do think that ElfQuest has this general message of, you know, forgiveness and being the bigger person and again, doing things for the right motivations. Um, And yeah, sometimes that's challenging. And sometimes that Mm -hmm. conflicts with things like, I don't know, survival, right? Um, Right. But I think that there is a bigger kind of moral lesson that's that's sort of woven through here without being um, ham-fisted or preachy. Um, so anyway, with I, – I, yeah, just – I don't really have much more to say about this interaction than holy crap, wow, and major, major character development. What's going to happen with Rayek next? Like what is he going to be like when we see him in the next issue? Exactly. And I mean going forward thinking of – their story in the future, which is actually in the past as far as publications, right? right? We're talking about uh, Rogue's Curse. Um, we know what their dynamic is like by the time of Rogue's Curse. So mm-hmm. this is temporary. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens. I got to say, I hope that we finally do get some closure to the Rogue's, que- or Rogue's Curse uh, storyline at some point. I know that Wendy's like... <laughs> <laughs> probably done with elf quest after final quest but you know i hope there's some sort of resolution to their story because you know we know that it continues on past final quest right yeah i mean i i don't think wendy or richard are going to be done with elf quest after final quest i think that they 
are like hell no to you know living under comic book publication deadlines right you know after doing it for 40 plus years and i don't think any of us can blame them um so yeah i'm hopeful that we might see you know pick up of that story in in the future um you know i'm pretty sure that wendy and richard are not worrying about that you know they're they're really kind of keeping their eyes on on in the here and the now and focusing on doing final quest um in the best way that they possibly yeah, of can. course but, but as a greedy fan right i can't course, help yeah. but yeah well and that <laughs> can't was just help my, but put that out there totally and that was just my preamble to say totally i want more so <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i'm right there with you but um all right so so we're talking about the scene where ray you know blows up the boats kills a whole bunch of humans the other notable things in here for me um well number one the interaction with Corifei was really interesting. We got to see a little bit more of Corife, you know, a little bit more of her personality and her character. And, you know, she basically, you know, she has this, this, what I would call a, um, a loss of innocence moment. You know, she mm-hmm. sees, she's in the water watching Rayek display all of this power, probably not the kind of, you know, violence and power that she's never really seen before. You know, maybe mm-hmm. she understood that it exists on a conceptual level, but I think, you know, she's a fairly young elf and she's lived this sort of, you know, idyllic life in the ocean and, you know, in the palace. And, uh, you know, as far as elves go, she's, she probably has it as good as any elf has ever had it on the world of two moons, right? Yeah. And then she sees this horrific act of violence being committed by Ray mm-hmm. as, and, and literally sees, you know, charred chunks of human flesh flinging, you know, out from the explosions and landing in front There's of her. There's a head that lands, yeah. a decapitated head lands yeah. beside her. Yeah. And I mean, talk, there, there's the loss of innocence right there. Totally. Yeah. Know? And I, I posted about this on Facebook. Um, I, I love that this, that two panel progression. I, so do I. Yeah. A couple of reasons. <laughs> like I think, um, you know, sequential art at its best, you know, you see, you know, panel one to panel two, a complete change in what, well, like what we see in that panel is, is shock to horror happening. And all, and it's all again in the sequential art. You know, you you see in 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 one frame, simply by the a, a subtle change in in the way that Wendy drew Corifei's lips and her and her eyes and eyebrows, like a subtle change that really a thousand percent communicates shock in the first panel and then horror in the second panel. And I invite everybody to go back and look at it um, and see what I'm talking about. I mean, it's very subtle. It's not like radical differences in the face. And I'll say too that, you know, this is, I think, a really great example of Wendy's cartooning skills. And I know for some people out there, cartoon is kind of a bad word and they think that's somehow lesser. Um, And, you know, honestly, when I was younger, I kind of thought that too, like the more, you know, detailed and realistic and whatever that that was better, especially in comics and cartoony was sort of dumb. And, but cartooning is an art form in and of itself. And in order to do it, you have to have a mastery of, you know, basically realism in order to be able Mm -hmm. to break the rules in order to cartoon, which is all about, you know, sort of uh, mixing up proportions and, you know, making, you know, using simpler lines to communicate. Mm-hmm. And this is what is happening in this panel. You know, Corifei's, th- th- this panel is not like, you know, a super anatomically, you know, like realistic drawing or whatever, but, and it is very cartoony, but it is perfect. It is such a great example, again, of Wendy's mastery of the art of cartooning to communicate to the reader and tell the story. And, you know, Wendy's, Real strength is communicating emotion, 
And she does it all right in this panel. And so not only is the art amazing, but how it moves the story forward and how it develops the character of Korofei in two freaking panels, right? Is just exactly. mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, critics of ElfQuest and Wendy's art, critics of Wendy's art in particular, uh, say things like, oh, it's too cute. She draws cute elves. It's all right. too pretty. It's all too sweet. Yeah. You don't know shit because if you look at those two panels totally. with that charred hand and a decapitated head wendy wendy is willing to go there and when she draws horror or violence that's powerful stuff Absolutely. and that is you know she's not afraid to go to those places that's a decapitated decapitated head yeah. right there and, and, you know? and yet at the same time it's never done gratuitously. And this was the other thing that I, I posted about in the, in the Facebook fan group is that in addition to everything I was just going on about, about Wendy's art skill and sequential art and the character development of Korofei, like so many other, not just comics, but, you know, sort of pop culture nowadays, TV shows and movies and, and, and comics. There's such a, you know, there's this sort of escalating, uh, uh, escalation of, of of gore and horror and graphic violence and don't get me wrong like i love all that stuff you know in, in the right place in the right time but ElfQuest has always from the very beginning used that element or has never abused that element or overused it and so when and that just means that when wendy and richard decide to go there and when wendy depicts it in her art it's just that much more effective and powerful. You know, it's again, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like when, you know, Clearbrook is, is straddling a dead troll and just hacking his face into like a, a, a mushy, bloody gore mess, right? Um, it's like when, you know, we, we, you know, see Mad Coil and the, and the, you know, the, the dead bodies and, and the black images and all of that kind of stuff, right? I mean, so I think that's just another example of how using that stuff sparingly in ElfQuest just makes it that much more powerful. Absolutely. I like that you use the term that uh, it's never abused. Right. Right. Um, you know, we're not desensitized to violence within ElfQuest. We might be from, you know, the world in general or pop culture, but within ElfQuest, these moments of violence hit you because they are sporadic, and when they happen, it's with reason. There's right. a reason for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, really, really powerful scene. Um, you know, Korofei almost gets herself killed. And in fact, that's how end up, Rayek does end up getting shot because she kind of distracts him because again, in her innocence and, you know, I feel like she's kind of channeling her grandparents on Sunstream side in this. On the one hand, she is, is kind of indignant in the same way that we've seen Lita in her younger days get. Um, you know, almost like, yes. almost like foot stomping in that one panel. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's got her fists, you know, clenched. And if she were on the ground, you know, that foot would be stamping, right? Yeah. Um, kind of like, you know, sort of Lita in her younger days. And mm -hmm. at the same time, she's not afraid, you know, like she is meeting this head on and Cutter too, in his young days sort of had this sense of, you know, right. Like I'm right. And I, you know, uh, this sort of moral obligation that was maybe a little bit more black and white than reality. And I, I've just seen like little touches of that in Korofei's character um, in, in the scene where she floats up and, and you know, tells Rayek a piece of her mind. <laughs> right. I agree with you. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, there is shades of Lita within Korofei here. Uh, I got to ask you, because I didn't quite understand this. Um, Korofei's 
floating up into the air, and Rayek says, Sunstream's daughter, she floats, can't fly. I don't understand what that means. I, I guess I'm not clear on the difference between a floater and somebody who can fly, because right. w- what's happening with that? Right. And then later on it says... Uh, but she can zigzag like a like a Like a dragonfly. dragonfly. Right. Well, so, isn't that flying? Right. That's what I, 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 I was a little bit confused by that as well. And, you know, this is all just purely my, uh, my take on all this. Um, you know, maybe Wendy and, and or Richard will enlighten us a little bit more, um, after they hear this. But here's what I think. Um, I, I know I've heard Wendy write or say or write things like, you know, floating and gliding or flying are, are sort of different manifestations of elf and power. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I mean, we, we, we've seen things in the story like, you know, Tildak, you know, he, he was a floater, right? And so what I think that means is that, you know, you can, you can like float your body. Um, and you can even sort of drive yourself to go in, you know, one direction or another. But, you know, you don't really have, well, actually, the, the same was said about Winkin back in his, in his youth that, you know, he, he didn't have, the strength to sort of, you know, or speed or stamina, right. To sort of zip around in the way that like Superman would, right. Elves like the chosen eight, I think were partly chosen because they were not only were they floaters, but they could fly as well. And maybe, maybe actually floating and gliding are synonymous and flying is different. And so Rayek has learned to be a, you know, to fly the chosen eight can fly. They're powerful flyers. Wind can, but he still needs the help of his wings in order to really travel long distances and, and, you know, whether they be artificial wings or now his flesh shaped wings. So that's how I'm kind of reading that distinction. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that I get on my soapbox about sometimes is I think that the, the, the potential negative impact of the role playing game from the eighties that really by necessity for a role-playing game had to really, really get down into the nitty gritty and characterize and, and categorize every single manifestation of elven power into its own separate thing. And what I think is that's done a disservice to fans who take that too literally when you're actually reading the story, because my take on it is that all elves have innate magical abilities. And all that is, is the ability to move energy around in, in, in existence, whether Mm -hmm. that's, you know, to, move biological energy around to heal or flesh shape or coral shape or to, you know, telekinesis or levitation or, you know, sending whatever. Right. So I think that there, the line between different powers is really much more blurry than oftentimes we fans give it credit for. And so I think, yeah, floating and slash gliding and flying are obviously similar and related and i think the point of what rayek is saying is just that you know corfe is does not have the power or strength or stamina to you know to sort of zip around the planet the way that i can and that's putting her in danger in this moment as she's kind of flitting flitting up here um you know i would say you know maybe dragonfly and and this is just me speaking as as a naturalist maybe was not the best analogy to make because dragonflies are pretty wicked badass flyers that, yeah you know, yeah um so so but whatever i think i think we can all kind of get the point that wendy and richard were making and that is yeah she can kind of float in place and kind of dart around where she is but it's not like again it's not like ray could fly across the ocean 
You know, mm-hmm. like there's a and and with force and with speed and with power. And in that moment, in Rayek's mind, like, oh my god, she's she doesn't have the power to really kind of be up here safely. Get down. I think that's what that's all about. Okay. I can kind of see that. I guess within the context of this scene, though, uh, in order to understand what was happening, the description of what Korofei was doing threw me off. Yeah, I, I, I can totally get that. Because, again, for me, you know, momentary, like, oh, wait, wait, dragonflies are really, you know, but, yeah, whatever. I'm not, yeah, that's the, the I, I think dragonfly-like was what threw me because I know how dragonflies fly. So, right. you know... That just kind of took me out of it for a second. I was going, wait a second, how, what is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. Butterfly like might be might have been a better insect to pick, but um, but even oh, butterflies yeah. can fly really fast. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever. I mean, I, I I think we all get kind of the the, the ultimate point there was just that she's not as strong of a flyer as Rayek is, and again, that put her in danger, which then moved the plot forward because then that put you know Rayek gets shot as a result of trying to protect her and. Um, no, I like your explanation, though, uh, as, um, you know, those two abilities, whether it's gliding or floating. And I take your point, you know, you don't want to get too caught up in the, the um, nuts and bolts of their magical abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I always sort of thought that floating was just the um, initial stage of being a glider. And as you became a stronger floater, eventually you would you know, develop the power to glide and sure. have this this stronger ability to fly, essentially. But you just start out being able to float your body up, like right. levitating. And then eventually over time, as you learn and grow in your power, you can uh, be self-propelled or what have you as as a glider. Sure, yeah. And I, 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 I sure, I have, I don't see anything in the story that would indicate that that I think maybe Winkin is a great example of that. Um, for other elves, maybe they just never get there, you know, and they, you know, in Tildek's case, you know, he had to have Winnowill flush shape him so that he could actually fly. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, you know, if you even think about it, you know, Rayek's ability is really kind of a different thing than, say, Aurori's or Winkin's or Korofe's. Rayek oh, yeah. started out you know, basically being able to float other things other than himself. And then he learned how to use that power to, you know, float and move external objects. He learned how to do that to himself with Ekwar's, you know, tutelage, right? And right. so the other elves that can fly or float can't do that. You know, uh, none of those three that I just mentioned are, are telekinetics. You know, Korofei exactly. can float something across the room. So even that is a, it's a different power. Right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. He's doing something different than what the gliders and floaters are doing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, but yet at the end of the day, it's just, it's just a, you know, different, you know, manifestation on the sliding gray scale of how the elves are able to use their powers. And I think that's exactly. the best way to think of it. You know, absolutely. I mean, Will herself said it way back to, you know, when she first met Lita and Lita learned about that, that Winnowill flesh-shaped Rayek, and Winnowill, or, or Tildak, I mean, and Winnowill says to Lita as she's standing there with her jaw open, you know, like, like what's the big deal? Flesh-shaping, rock-shaping, it's all one. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's the best way to think about it. Yes, yeah, I agree. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and speaking of which, um, it's also a great, I, I think um, uh, 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 Snakeskin is a great example of this as well, right? And we've talked about this, I feel, on the show before, but 
think of, you know, you, you, you have an elf like Skimback, who is a healer sort of in the traditional sense, right? You have a, a, an elf like um, Snakeskin who has a similar healing power, but yet his manifestation of it is much more geared towards the the kind of the flesh shaping aspect, but not even his own species, like flesh shaping coral, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. coral are biological creatures, and 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 they're the the hard coral part that's you know that that's that's sort of grown in the same way that like a, a, a crab or a turtle grows its own shell. So yeah, that, it's that, like a fingernail. Right. And then you have, and, and this is a great segue to get back to the issue to reef, who we know also has powers in this sort of. Um, this healing vein, but his really obviously have now manifested much more towards his own self-shaping versus him being a healer of others. And so they're all the same kind of family of powers that all have manifested themselves slightly differently. And I think that that actually, I think it's really cool that there's that um, it, it gives a, it gives Wendy and Richard so much more to work with story-wise Right, like they can yes. kind of take this in so many different directions, rather than being shackled to. It's like this power with this many, you know, sort of magic points and whatever, like you know, for the for the role playing game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Reef. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Well, he's in his uh, his uh, monster form here, mm-hmm. um, and they're using him as a. Uh, <laughs> Like a, what is it called? Like a hospital bed or something? Yeah, like a gurney or... A gurney, thank you. Yeah, a gurney (laughs) uh, for Rayek's body uh, while Daboy and um, Skimback work on him. Um, Actually, I really like that that uh, Daboy comes in handy here. He's (laughs) a physician, right? A human Mm -hmm. physician. And lo and behold, the elves need his help. The elfin healers need his help because... What he's able to do is more effective uh, than uh, the use of their healing powers uh, for removing the bullets. It's faster and and quicker. Yep. It's faster and easier for Du Bois to use a a blade to dig the bullets out and then have Skimback uh, close those wounds and heal Rayek, as opposed to taking all the time, I guess, to work the bullet up out of Rayek's body. Meanwhile, he's got all these other bullets in him and he's bleeding out. So yeah, they're working in tandem with each other. This this human physician and an elfin healer, which is really cool to see the the two species coming together, uh, working together uh, with their you know s- same abilities. They're both healers. They just have different ways of of doing it. Yeah, no, uh, I, I really like that. Yeah, I'm right there with you on it. Um, you know what what a great again bit of character development both for the individual characters we could see and learn a little bit more about these you know very secondary characters just a teensy little bit um you know and and at the same time make the point within all of this conflict and ray again trying to blow up and obliterate the humans that at the end of the day it's a beautiful thing when we can work together Mm -hmm. and bridge those gaps those superficial gaps that you know are unfortunately the cause of so much strife in both the story and the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, we needed to redeem poor Du Bois. I mean, it wasn't his fault. He was tortured and all he wanted to do was sort of follow in his dad's footsteps. And, you know, he, you know, live with his own people and help his own people and everything. And that's what led to him being captured and conscripted and being on the boat in the first place in order to be tortured and spill the beans on where 
Cutter's Holt was. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, so it yeah, must be so, hard to be digging out bullets in the middle of the ocean though, <laughs> with the storm coming, right? To, I mean, totally, yeah. I mean, you know, Du Bois, du Bois got mad skills. That's exactly what I was just gonna say. Yeah. So props on Du Bois. You've redeemed yourself. Um, yeah, he did. He came in handy after all. Right. And interestingly, yeah. you know, going back mm-hmm. to Rayek and his character development, you know, the fact that Rayek is like, all right, I'm going to save you, human. I'm going to, like, basically push my power of flight to the limit to carry you to safety and fly, like, halfway across an ocean. I mean, that's pretty significant. Rayek, before this incident, I don't think would have done that. Or not willingly, anyway. Has Rayek ever saved a human before? I for some reason I feel like he might have. Um not in anything up to now. No? I don't think so. I'm 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 going through okay. my mental, you know, flipping through all of my comics mentally. Now yeah. now now what is interesting is this incident here actually could be laying the groundwork for the Rayek that we see in um, in Rogue's Curse, Rogue's Curse, where yeah. he is much more, and this was always something that was discordant for me reading Rogue's Curse. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never really understand why Ray gave a rat's ass about any of these humans, and so maybe I'm having a light bulb moment here, and maybe this is, um, you know, uh, one of the things that ch- that resulted in Ray changing to be that elf that we know, you know, 900 years later or whenever, 400 years later, whenever Rogue's Curse actually takes place. Um, mm. Maybe, you know, the, the realization that he had after this incident and being saved by Du Bois caused that door to open in his mind and heart and see humans a little bit less, um, or, or to see them a little bit more altruistically. I don't know. I'm kind of just thinking. If that is the case, and this is how sort of Wendy and Richard are setting that up, then that's genius, yeah, right? Really, that's what I, I mean, was thinking <laughs> to sort of lay the the groundwork or the or plant the seeds for Rayek's eventual uh, warming up to humans to some extent uh, within Final Quest because of this incident with Du Bois. Then that's a really clever and ingenious way to sort of set that up. Yeah, I, I think yeah. so too. Um, and you know, again, something that never occurred to me until it just fell out of my mouth. Right now, yeah. (laughs) So that's why I love doing this podcast with you because we get to have those kind of revelations. I know, right? It makes you like come to all these. uh, We we always have these aha moments. Yeah. Um. But but I I do want to go back to Reef because yeah yeah yes I Mm -hmm. freaking love Reef. You know, I I I always liked Reef and I liked the broken one and I liked his transformation. Um. And I know there are fans out there that like who so utterly, you know, sort of connect with and you know spoon up his character design like it's the best plate of you know dessert that you've ever had. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put myself in that category, but at least not initially. But the more I see of him, I'm getting I'm getting there. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I don't know like his monster form I find so compelling and. You know, beautiful, even though it's like it breaks all the rules of what, you know, humans should find beautiful. You know, he's he's he he's he, you know, he's got this sort of I don't I wouldn't say. Well, it's so it's so unusual. And uh, as far as ElfQuest is concerned, right, it's something that we've never really seen before. The most you know, monstrous form we've ever seen is Tildak, but even at that, he's still 
recognizable as an elf. Right. Uh, whereas with Reef, it's like he's a he's a monster. Right. But right? And, so but, it's so different. Yeah, and like what, what I was struggling to just say was something like mm-hmm. uh, just trying to articulate that the the character design has elements in it that should be repulsive to to human beings. Right. It's not furry right it's it doesn't look like a cute and cuddly mammal it's you know he doesn't have a nose he's got this weird fish face i mean of all the groups of wildlife maybe with the exception of insects fish are the hardest for humans to empathize with because they just look so different you know Mm. his skin is i you know i started to say slimy and i don't think it's quite slimy as it is like rubbery and slick and again those are things that are aren't generally appealing um, you know, like we, we humans like normally would have a negative reaction to that. Something with, yes. with tentacles should oh, yeah. gross us out. And yet for some reason, and I have no idea why, you know, Wendy tapped into some kind of universal appeal with the way that she developed the character, both visually and maybe it's, a, it, it's that plus what they've done with his personality and, and character that make him so endearing. But I don't know. I just, I, I think he's awesome and I want more of him. Yeah, well, I I love this sort of um, the distinct sides to this character when he's in the two forms. Like you get Reef, who in his elfin form seems very timid and meek and quiet, and uh, uh, and then you get him in his uh, his monster form, and you know he's um, very strong and aggressive and uh, um, powerful. So there's this dynamic at play between those two sides. of it. He's like the Incredible Hulk, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I think that's that's kind of a neat a- analogy. Whether or not that was deliberate or not, I don't know. But um, you know, Wendy and Richard, being old school Marvel comics fans, I'm sure they read a Hulk or two comic um, back in the day. So mm-hmm. maybe the the difference being though that when he is um, in his monster form, it's not he he hasn't lost who he is. Right. Whereas with the Incredible Hulk, it's like right. Bruce Banner is is gone. It's that Jekyll Hyde, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde uh, right. dynamic. Right. Where you know once he transforms back into his his true form, he he's forgotten what he did and he's he struggles with it and it's it's a burden for him. Whereas here with Reef, this is his choice to transform into this form, and it just brings out those aspects of himself. That when he's in his elfin form aren't as pronounced, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a difference there where he's still in control. And it, actually, that's this is just giving me a light bulb moment here. There's a bit of a contrast to Rayek and Winnowill. So I can see it as Reef having this form within him that he controls, and it, you know, he he is in control of it. He brings it out, and it's a manifestation of his his power, his physical power. I think more than anything. Uh-huh. Um, whereas with Rayek, Rayek has this entity, I guess, within him, but he, he is not in full control of when that entity takes over. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that's making too no, much no, sense no. here. My analogy, I'm just kind of playing with it as I'm speaking, but it's like these two, these two beings almost within another being, like there's a being right. within another one, no, an I, entity, I get that. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you articulate it. I think, yeah, that's something, um, 
interesting. I want to kind of stew on that, but I, I, I totally see where you're going with it. Like there are definitely some analogies there, whether or not they were intentional, I don't know, but, um, very interesting to think about. Um, one, but we have this, we have this scene here. So, uh, Reef is, it says he's consumed with terror, uh, and his spirit takes a wild, aimless flight. So his spirit goes out to the astral plane, mm-hmm. uh, and he's inexorably pulled towards Winnowill's spirit. And I just <laughs> hold on. I have this up on my iPad, and I just uh, oh, I hit the wrong I, button. Yeah, I have the page in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to take it from? Yeah. Me? So, so okay. you know, without you know describing every gory detail because you've all yeah. read it. You know, Reef has this interaction with Winnowill, and you know his initial reaction is terror, and he all he kind of reverts in his spirit form back into the broken one, and she's like, "Who the hell are you? I have no idea who you are. Go away. I'm trying to get Ray killed here," and he keeps pushing it, and you know he has this light bulb moment where he's like, "Wait a second, you know this horrible thing that you did to me, I, I, I'm perceiving in the spirit realm where everything is sort of truth." Um, that you didn't even do it on purpose. You did it because you yourself were hurt and, and you know, you were lashing out out of fear and like none of this was deliberate. And I've been living for these thousands of years, you know, kind of as this victim of what I thought was like a hate crime, but really it was just an accident. And all of this happens in a split second on, in the spirit realm. And Reef's like, oh, okay, I forgive you. And like we all know, after the interaction with Winkin a few episodes ago or issues ago, when he also thanked Winnowill for what she did to him, that that completely throws her off because she she is so conditioned to again sort of being black and white and and you know putting herself into the role of villainous and enjoying it um, over the course of the millennia. That when somebody actually is like, oh, that's okay, or they they say thank you, or they say you're forgiven. She has no idea what to do with that. And that is what knocks her out of her rage and allows Rayek probably to st- you know, stop the inner struggle and allow him to focus on heal- helping the healers heal him and puts Winnowill back into this sort of innocent state. Fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, we've been waiting for this interaction for a while. We, you and I have both been talking about oh, it. Yeah. When is it going to happen? What's going to happen when Reef encounters Winnowill? And here we finally got it. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is such an integral plot point here for this issue because without Reef having done this, Winnowill might have won. Rhea could have died. Winnowill would have escaped, and then all hell would have broken loose. So because of Reef, uh, you know, Rayek's able to regain control. Exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, unintentionally, I mean, Reef didn't go into the spirit realm with the intent of, you know, doing this. Um, it's just, this is how everything played out. I love the use of color in this page as well, because yes. we start with Winnowill enraged in her violets and, and these bright pinks and reds. And uh, through their interaction, um, by the end of it, when Reef forgives her, she's uh, down to like this pale pale mauve and uh, these light pinks like yeah. the 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 rage has clearly um been subdued mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. she's you know she's been chastened and uh humbled um probably for the first time in in thousands of years because right. of this so uh i love too that reef um briefly 
transforms into the broken one form. Yeah. To, I, I think, as a way to remind her of what he was. But I don't even think she knew about it. I mean, no, when I, I, whenever this happened, I, I re- vaguely remember reading about it in Wayne's well, so, answers. So this, but that's, it's important to understand that because it's, it's, otherwise this scene doesn't make sense. Reef was turned into the broken one because he found Winnowill on that little deserted island that Tildeck dumped her on at the end of Siege of Blue Mountain when she was half healed by Lita. And it bears, I think, repeating that, you know, Winnowill as a character herself has gone through a pretty massive evolution that I personally don't think fans kind of grasp as much as maybe they, they should, or at least not give credit for, right? And so, you know, Winnowill herself went from, you know, being this, this creature of great power and hope, you know, she wanted to get the, the elves back to the palace. And she was stymied by Lord Ball, basically, by his his vision of locking the, the elves away, and which ultimately caused her, her healing power to stagnate. Um, and, you know, and so that is that basically drove her into a kind of madness and depression and whatever. And like she used that ultimately to kind of manipulate herself into being the queen of, you know, behind the throne in Blue Mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. But but we know that like. And it was the beginning of her using her power to basically, you know, for the purposes of pain and getting a sick thrill off of that. But mm-hmm. back then, she still had sort of good motivations, I guess you could say. She wanted to protect her people, you know, kind of like Rayek that we were talking about earlier. But they somehow were, were kind of, um, you know, compromised. But I would say back then she was still sort of she was more kind of like mentally and emotionally ill. Right. Yeah. Then, which is why Lita could heal her, right? And so at mm-hmm. the end of Siege of Blue Mountain, when they kind of gang up on her and topple her, and she gets wrapped up in uh, in preserver silk, and then Lita is healing her, and then the mountain starts to fall, and Tildak comes in and steals her because he wants to get his revenge for you know her chaining him to the throne, and he steals the body, and Cutter's like, no, you can't kill her, and and that's it. And then that last final page of of King or Siege of Blue Mountain, we see that he dumped her on this island, and he chose not to kill her, but he ripped open the cocoon and left her there to you know for fate to decide what what happened to her. Mm-hmm. And and so sometime shortly thereafter, Reef out in the ocean, you know, sort of senses her and is drawn to her, and she is half healed. She's like you know I think what's the word that was used in Siege of Blue Mountain like a red sore torn open. She is yeah. just a hot mess, and she has no idea what's <laughs> going on. And so Reef shows up out of the blue, pops up out of the water, and like reaches out to her, you know, with his empathy and his magic. And she's like, "Oh hell no!" And she just lashes out. And he has no defenses against this. And she turns him into the, the into the broken one, and he, you know, he goes off. So that is the context for all of this, right? Yeah. And we yeah. and we know now that you know Winnowill then you know subsequently ended up spending. 10,000 years under the ocean. And when we see her again, she tells Lita in Kings of the Broken Wheel, like, I am not the same elf. I have healed from all of that stuff, right? Like, I Mm -hmm. have come to know, uh, you know, uh, I've come to peace with that, all that bad stuff. So when that happens, Winnowill isn't sort of mentally ill anymore. That's when Winnowill, like, truly becomes a villain in the sense that we, we tend to think of it, where she is motivated by badness, 
Like, and, and more to the point, she embraces it. She actually likes it. She loves it. And that's the Winnow Will that has become this sort of, you know, this uber villain, right? This, this character that is motivated simply by things like hurting other people. And she even says it in shards. If you read shards, she has this conversation with Cromwell John where she says to him, you know, she says something like, you know, he says something like, you know, there's no love lost between you. And I think, I think he's talking about Rayek. And she says, yeah, there isn't, you know, I mean, the problem, the, the, the difference, or maybe it's two edge. I can't remember. But anyway, the point is the same. Winnowill's comment is he still seeks love. I reject love, right? That's a cold, conscious decision. That's a very different Winnowill than the one that we originally met in Blue Mountain, who was still, you know, sort of telling herself that she was all good, but really she was just like fucked up in the head and the heart, right? So now, so anyway, so, so that's the Winnow Will now that's responding to Reef, you know, this true villain. And we see that her vulnerable point is that she can't imagine anybody not thinking of her as the worst thing alive. And when people do, it totally knocks her off of her balance. Wow. I never really picked up on that before. Thank yeah. you for pointing well, that out. You're welcome. And, and the reason, like, again, it's one of my soapboxes because I, I've heard on more than one occasion the gripe that, oh, you know, Winnowill is just has turned into a one dimensional character and now she's just evil for evil's purposes. But if you are a careful reader and you really kind of see the subtle ways in which she's changed and the not so subtle ones. I mean, again, Wendy and Richard say specifically in the end of Kings of the Broken Wheel, you know, Winnowill says, like, I don't need your healing anymore because I've already spent 10,000 of years in my own personal therapy under the ocean dealing with all that stuff. I am no longer mentally and emotionally ill. Now I'm just an awful person, <laughs> you know, like, that's, <laughs> and that's, that's a difference. That's a character development. Um, and I think that's, it, it's kind of fascinating. It's like, like, when do you ever get a, like to see the development of a character into this like total archetypical villain, right? We get things like the Maleficent, you know, uh, live action movie where you get the backstory, which I know drives Wendy crazy, um, and 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 sort of retro retcons this whole backstory. But we actually got to see it with Winnowill in real time in the story. Wow. Okay. I'm gonna have to go back and read some stuff. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Because it's been it's been a while since I've read Kings and Shards. I mean, it's been years probably. With uh, apart from just flipping through for right. you know reference stuff, okay. Yeah, I highly recommend back. it. I mean, that last mm -hmm. scene in um, that end scene in in Kings of the Broken Wheel with Winnowill and and how she manipulated Rayek all along to get him to steal a palace, and then picks right up ten thousand years later where she left off at Rayek manipulating her back, and what she says to Lita. I mean, that in, in a way, like I in a way, I was kind of rooting for her. When she was like, when she sees Lita and she's like, oh no, you are not touching me again. And then she uses her magic to sort of whip up the waves and like basically obliterate Lita. Like a little <laughs> part of me was rooting for her, you know? <laughs> Isn't that amazing though? How you can, you can like empathize with a villain well, that, in that way? I, that to me is, is one of the key things in creating a good villain. Oh, absolutely. A, a little part of you loves them and loves is rooting it. for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, and frankly, mm -hmm. it makes her a much more interesting villain than, say, like a Sauron from Lord of the Rings or even 
um, Voldemort from from Harry Potter. Like you never really empathize with them or, or, or like them or or sort of delight in their evilness. Right. Yes, exactly. I mean, the best villains always are likable to some extent. Yeah. Right. There's something about them that is appealing. Right. Mm-hmm. So Winnowill is um, sort of a study in in in, in opposites. Uh, you know, love, hate. You know, appeal, disgust. Um, and you know, she remains that no matter how she has changed with the sword. I mean, this whole interlude with Reef and then Rayek uh, interacting with Winnowill makes her more appealing to me than than she has been in quite a while to yeah. be honest yeah uh just because i see this vulnerability within her mm-hmm. suddenly i'm going oh well there are layers here that that still exist there's there's stuff going on that needs to be explored Absolutely. that i want i want to be explored i want to see what happens with this character even though she's still a villain and she's dangerous mm-hmm. and she's she's scary, right? There's yeah. there's something about her that's extremely appealing too. Like I want to see where this is going now. I want to see what happens to her. Yeah, I mean speaking of scary, I kind I, of like her. Yeah, but but speaking of scary, my favorite line in this issue, I think, is when Rayek is wounded and she's like, "Die, die, die." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, tell us what you really think. <laughs> I mean, she makes no bones about it, right? She's just putting it out there. Yeah. Like, I'm to I want you panel. to die. Yeah. I want you to die right now. Uh, you know, in case you were no, uh, in case it wasn't clear, yeah. die. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's also, um, you know, I, I joke when I say that, um, cause it is delicious and evil, but it's also incredibly sad because we know, like, we've, we've already seen a few issues back. You know the the how horrible it is that Ray is trapping her, and even exactly. though even though we see in this issue that it really is truly motivated by this this higher cause and this higher part of Ray's self, this true love, it's still awful to think of the imprisonment against her will, and that it's just it's awful. And I think when she says "die," like th- that's I, more than anything, I hear that sadness and that desperation. Like and and the disappointment that you know if she didn't get knocked off of her of her um, her her rocker there by by what Reef said to her mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 incredibly deep sense of frustration and disappointment that she would have been feeling knowing that Rayek was actually going to live and that she was still going to be a prisoner would almost be unbearable to think about. Absolutely, I mean Rayek's a bastard. Right, <laughs> you know, like he's keeping her prisoner, her her spirit prisoner. But we understand the motivation for that. So not only is is he a bastard, he's also a hero. Yeah. Because if he didn't do that, then they would all be screwed. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, but you, I can empathize with her. She wants her freedom. She's being held prisoner. Yeah, I against mean, her will. Yeah, and, and it's really hard to. to... Like, I struggle with all of this, right? It's really hard to know what to make of any of it because it's not black and white. It's not. It's not. It just made me think of something, but it was just on the tip of my tongue, and I can't think of it. But it's it's calling to mind some other fictional work. I'll have to see if I remember it, where somebody's being held prisoner, like a, 
their spirit or something, and then they're released. I'll see if I can remember it. Okay. Yeah. I was um, just on the tip of my tongue. Or the tip of my mind. <laughs> um, so one other bit in this in this scene that I think is really fascinating is, you know, Rayek is is literally on death's door. They just get him. They're trying to heal him. Um, it's before Du Bois gets involved, and it's the scene that where Rayek confuses Salt for Ekwar. Yes, and mm-hmm. and he apologizes to him, and mm-hmm. that's another really key thing here. Um, that I think is really, really important in this whole scene is, I mean, Rayek was a total jerk to Ekwar and was really nasty to him. And I think that got all of us kind of riled up, you know? Yeah, well, he stunned him at the end of that it, fight scene. You know, I'll tell you what, like, that was the least for me of, of like, my frustration with Rayek. It was more what he said, like... I'll never trust you again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, even you would betray me. Like, he just, he was really mean to Ekwar. And Ekwar is, like, so sweet and nice and huggable that when you're mean to him, it's just no, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, so, so, so this scene, again, kind of redeemed Rayek there. And he obviously was like, you know, I really was a jerk. And, but the coolest thing about it all is that when I first read this, and I know most of you listening will relate to what I'm going to say, you know, I kind of devoured the issue. And oftentimes when I go back and do a reread, I see and I see things that I, I didn't notice the first time. Oftentimes that's art. In this case, it was a it was a, a word bubble. So the first time that I read it, I actually didn't see the panel at the bottom there of Rayek saying, you know, Equar questioning. So I actually read those two panels without knowing, without it being stated explicitly that Rayek was confusing salt with Equar. And yet, I knew exactly what Rayek meant. Ah. And when I made, when I realized that, oh, they did actually spell it out right there for the reader, it made me realize that if they had left that panel out, the power of the storytelling and the art would have perfectly communicated exactly what was happening. If they had left that word If they had left out. that out. Because it is yeah. true, and I have thought this from day one when I saw Wendy's interpretation of Salt – um, back in when in, in the discovery when she first you know drew the wave dancers that you know there is a resemblance between Equar and Salt mm-hmm. you know, they have a, a very similar look about them and um, and before anybody goes off on oh maybe they're brothers I think that's stylistic <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you want to get into like you know the pseudoscience of it all all the elves you know look similar because they're all related exactly. in some way shape or form and that's exactly. about as far into that conversation that I ever want to get but, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I'm saying, like yes, like the 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 plot development of what happens with Rayek is amazing, but the art and what it communicates again is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that two panel sequence up uh, yeah. because uh, it's important in the context of this uh, of Rayek's storyline in this issue, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he. Uh, He's essentially apologizing to Ekwar. Hopefully that gets back to Ekwar at some point. I'm sure it will. I mean, we, again, we know that they make up by the time mm-hmm. uh, the events of Rogue's Curse happen. But, um, True enough. But yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that actually plays out, even though we know the end. Um, one last thing I think I want to just say quickly about this scene is, if you remember from the last issue and the last episode, we had this conversation about um, it being a little bit confused about salt and spray and their fishtails and their feet and everything. Oh yeah. And I did want to mm-hmm. say that, um, you know, we were like, yeah, it wasn't very clear, but I did go back and reread the issue and they very clearly say 
that they have, um, I forget the word, but they basically say like, you know, it'll, we're going to swim across the ocean, changing back and forth between uh, tails and feet on our own. And you see that borne out in this panel when Rayek flies off with Dubois on his back, because you do see that both salted spray have fishtails. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. So it was it was clearer than we made it out to be in what we were saying last episode. So I wanted to say that because I'm I'm sure you know when when Wendy and Richard listen and they hear things like that, they're like, "Well, we told you in the story." <laughs> yeah, I bet they're doing that constantly. Yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get this last uh, sequence here. We mentioned Rex uh, gonna take the boy to dry land, mm-hmm. um, and uh, skim back fills them with strength so the the healer here gives them uh i guess brings their bodies up to you know top top form right top function yep uh before they have to make this this journey across the ocean to dry land so that was kind of cool yeah just giving them a little bit of a uh a boost yeah oh i know that that reminded me one one other thing i wanted to point out is that i really liked about this scene is you know, we, we, we've seen the powers of the elves grow exponentially over the course of the story. And of course, the revitalization of the palace and Kings of the Broken Wheel really kind of jumpstarted that. And any elf that spends time in and around the palace, you know, we see how it impacts them and their magical ability. And, and on some level, you know, it kind of makes all of the elves into superheroes. And I think that makes the story less interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the old days, you know, where magic was much more limited, it was just that much more special, right? And right. And what I really liked about this scene was that there was a recognition of the fact that, you know, especially for elves that don't live in the palace, that there still are limitations. And you know, Winnowill mocks uh, uh, Skimback for being a weak healer, and and we see that you know that that Skimback can't heal all of Rake's wounds. Like he might keep him from dying, but it might take him hours and hours and hours, and maybe he won't even have enough strength. That's why he calls on Dubois to help him. And I just yeah. really liked that. I liked that it was a recognition. And it makes sense because Skimback isn't living in the palace. He's not even anywhere around it. So this magic dampening effect of the uh, of the um, the world of two moons would still probably apply to him more than, you know, say, a Mender or a Lita that, you know, either live in or around or have spent a lot of time in the palace over the years. So I thought that was just a nice, uh, you know, story touch that, you know, just sort of, backed up what we you know, just sort of the consistent sort of rule of thumb that we've come to know about how the world affects their magic and you know story consistency i guess internal consistency right yeah uh agreed um just going back a little bit so before we get to this second half of rake's story here we see a panel uh and it's Cutter's face and Rake's face um uh-huh in juxtaposition to each other and uh Rayx referred to as the shadow of uh, Cutter's shadow of shadows, mm-hmm. who uh, fights in agony to stay conscious. I really like that panel just because once again we're seeing these these two you know eternal rivals here. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not so much anymore, but um, you know the two halves of the same coin, the light and the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, Cutter and Rayek. Uh I just I I like that you know in this issue we're we're seeing that right because this is such an important relationship and dynamic mm-hmm. to the story of ElfQuest. The overall story is yep. Cutter and Rayak. And even though they're not really interacting with each other directly in this issue, we're, their their storylines are playing out yeah. in tandem and we're seeing this, you know, this contrast between the two. Yeah. Uh, and so that 
you know, so there we have Rayek and we have Cutter. So why don't we take a step back and talk about uh, Cutter's yeah. place well, in this uh, before issue. We, before we do that, I just want to echo yep. what you said. Mm-hmm. And I really also really loved those panels. I thought they were just some of the most beautiful panels in the issue. And, um, you know, I think it's um, another great example of what I was saying a little bit earlier that I think in particular in Final Quest, much of what is being put into it needs to be looked at from um, a symbolic level. And, you know, in addition to just sort of a, you know, a plot and story level, um, mm-hmm. I think, I think more than any other story or at least, you know, major story arc in ElfQuest, there's a lot of, again, symbolism and a lot of um, representation of, of ideas that mm-hmm. are being put into it that are, you know, sort of embodied by the characters and their choices that, you know, like we, you know, we were talking about before about like Rayek's choice to attack the humans. I think there's a lot of, again, symbolism in that, and that idea of, you know, your motivation and what you're, you know, why you're doing things and, and, you know, how they're going to potentially hurt you if you do them for the wrong reasons. Um, even if there might be some kind of, you know, if you just look at the black and white of it, you know, what you were saying, I think makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, you got to get rid of these humans. So just get rid of them. Right. But if you think about it in the bigger sense of, again, some of these big questions that humanity faces, like when is it okay to use a nuclear bomb in your own defense? Right. Then you begin to see that maybe some of what's going into the story here is symbolic of those, some of those bigger ideas and issues in the real world. And that helps me personally understand the story and the motivations of the characters more than if I was just looking at it at a very basic, you know, plot point A, plot point B. Um, and again, I just feel in Final Quest, there's there's more of that than maybe in other Elfquest stories. The only issue I take with your analogy to nuclear bomb, I do uh, see where you're where you're coming from with it. However, when a nuclear bomb or an atomic bomb was used in at the end of World War II, civilians were killed, right? So that, I think, is where there is an ethical conundrum. Mm-hmm. However, in this case, Rayek using his power is using it directly on an advancing army. There aren't civilians involved in the uh, in this conflict. Well, what about so that's where I that's where I see a difference between your analogy of using a nuclear bomb. What about Du Bois? He was, well, he, he was on the boat. They, and, okay, well, they saved him, so he doesn't count anymore. <laughs> but you know that there are others like him that are, you know, conscripts and slaves that are going to – yeah, but I, 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 I get your point, and I do think that's a legit question. I also – you know, I mean, obviously it's not a one-to-one analogy. There's it, – it's different, but the broad brushstroke of what I was trying to say, I think – I think, you know, I think – I think I've made my point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to Cutter, right? So we've um, – Left Cutter at the end of the last issue, you know, rescued by his heart circle and, you know, still basically out to lunch. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I think mm-hmm. the last we saw of him in, in the last issue, let me just scroll through here. Yeah, like he, you know, the scary ones appeared. He freaked out and ran away again. And, you know, Nightfall and Redlance and, and Cutter or, or Skywise and Lita have gathered him back and bathed him and given him his new clothes and everything. And, and we're seeing, you know, that some, some amount of time has passed, you know, I don't, days, weeks, months, I don't know. And, um, you know, he's still sort of not all with it. He's still reeling from this revelation that, you know, he is not just himself, but he also is Timming. Um, 
And so I guess, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of, we come to Cutter still in this moment and well, number one, we're, we're seeing that the elves have sort of sorted out, um, the wolf riders have sorted out what the scary ones are actually doing when they're mm-hmm. snuggling up and caressing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of confirmed that they are indeed doing what we've talked about. And that is kind of, you know, eating up and absorbing, you know, dead skin particles and everything right off of the living elves. Disgusting. Which is kind of gross, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely, uh. I'm kind of with Nightfall there. Right? Uh, me too. Me too. I made the exact same face she did yeah. when I was reading that. Um, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, speculation as to what they were doing. And I think, uh, you know, there were a lot of people who came to the same conclusion, and they were right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it wasn't just you and I who were sort of, um, you know, uh, speculating that this is, in fact, what they were doing. I think a, a, as a group, a lot of people sort of came to the same yeah. conclusion. So uh, it makes sense. They're scavengers, right? right? That That's how they've been existing. So they're eating dead stuff. Without having to kill it. Mm-hmm. And it's, the one thing I was like, so does that make them cannibals? Because they're eating. <laughs> yeah. Skin. Yeah. That's that's one of those questions. Like, you know, is it incest in ElfQuest when you know two elves that we can track, you know, back to being first cousins mm-hmm. or whatever? Like, I, I just don't even want to go there. <laughs> they're like they're kind of like elf zombies, kind of in a way. I that's guess a, so, but yeah. I, I don't see them that way at all. I mean, again, I just see them as um, forces of nature more than mm-hmm. any other group of elves. You know, they've moved away from that, you know, the, the pesky or pesty forelimb shape. And they've they've taken their magic and pulled it way in, in a much more extreme place than any of the other groups of elves that we've seen so far. And they, you know, at the same time are very much within the rhythms of nature and, you know, they're playing a role in the ecosystem. And I mean, Cutter even says it himself later in the issue. Um, let me flip to that page or, uh, when he's talking to the, um, them and he says something like, um, you know, you're, you're one with this wood, even the way you eat is good for it. Of all the elves, you're the best of hiders. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's how I feel about them, too, before Cutter yeah. even said it, is that they're just a different kind of elf and, you know, and, and radically different. And I think oh, that, yeah. that's kind of neat that we get to see a different manifestation of these elves on this planet. Um, a little bit hard to wrap our minds around, but the more we see of them and the more we kind of learn about them, they really do, you know, again, even more than the Wolf Riders. They, oh, yeah. It, it, they become a part of the world of two moons. Completely integrated to yeah. the point where they've almost lost, uh, you know, any sort of individuality. Which, right. uh, So, again, I don't know if that's such a good thing, though, right? Like, they seem to be this collective, like, well, like I, the Borg. I would say this, though, in response to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if it works for them, then so be it. They seem happy. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 the, in the first issue of Kings of the Broken Wheel, when Scouter is upset because Winnow Will has taken Winkin's um, wolf blood and they talk about Suntop and Ember and, you know, saying like, well, is Suntop a wolf rider because he doesn't have wolf blood? And this and, and, and basically they, you know, I forget who says it, but, you know. Somebody says in reference to Winkin, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter if he's happy. What does it matter? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I think about the, the the scary ones here, because 
yes, it's radically different. And to you and me, it might seem like a bad thing to have our, you know, our individuality absorbed into this collective. But if they're okay with it and they seem to be, and they seem happy there, um, why not? Yep, true enough. I mean, I'm just thinking in relation to the rest of the elves, right? Who are, uh, you know, they're individuals. Um, they have these defined personalities, and then to see these these elves who are so different from what we've what we've seen before, it's just such a it's a shock almost. Yeah, it's a challenge yeah. to wrap your mind yeah. around. Totally get that. Um. um you just referred to them as the scary ones, but I think we can start referring to them from now on by what they what they actually are, or who which, they actually are. Which is? The rootless ones. Yeah, I, I, I think so, right? I mean, yeah. it doesn't say, yes, black and white 100%, but I think that's who they are, It's right? I mean, yeah. that's why in the last issue, mm-hmm. they responded when Dryon sang out Sava's name. Right, they're like absolutely. Oh yeah, we cut, we remember her. Yeah. Again, it's probably been the better part of fifteen, twenty thousand years, but oh yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know because they are so telepathic, you know, through Dryon, they seem to be able to sort of, you know, th- there's something about Lita that they can kind of understand as being a you know a descendant of Sava. Um, they can sense it, or yeah, somehow, right. yeah. Um, which again, for uh, uber telepathic beings. Magical beings, I, I, you know, that makes some sense that they would be able to sort of make those kinds of connections. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then you know the elves don't really get that, you know, they're like okay, whatever. Cutter, you know, kind of comes back to himself, and we have this wonderful reunion moment, lots of hugs, and it's just really, really, you know, I think it's a big payoff moment in Final Quest. Um, but then you know while Cutter is sitting there later in the issue chatting with Lita. You know, he kind of says, you know, like, he says the rootless ones. He says it out loud. And Lita's like, yeah, like, what about them? Like, that's aren't my tribe's legends, you know. And they kind of have this conversation where, again, it kind of, they kind of come, Lita at least comes to the conclusion that, like, could this be them? Oh, my God, you know, and it's kind of like gasp. And um, so I think it's saying pretty clearly that that's who they are. So I am I am right there with you. I think we... we th- we need to start calling them the rootless ones because they're really not that scary now that we've known them. I think scary ones was always kind of a placeholder. That's why it's always been used in quotations when it's been written about, because it's never been used in the story. If you've noticed. Mm-hmm. No, it hasn't. So, um, so yeah, let's call them the rootless ones. Yeah. All which, right. Which by the way, I love, I mean, talk about taking something from ancient elf quest history. And I mean it both within the story but also and in the real world, right? Yeah. Like we learned of the rootless ones by name when the the very first novelization came out, Journey to Sorrow's End, which was I want to say like eighty one, maybe. Wow. Um, 80, 1980. and that's where Wendy and Richard elaborated on Sava's backstory and named elves like Yorick and told the story of how you know they were this you know this tribe of elves living in the woods that you know, basically were fighting and warring with the humans and ultimately the humans won and pretty much wiped them out. And Sava's band escaped into the desert, um, eventually to become the, the sun folk and evolve into this new tribe. Well, obviously not all of them got wiped out and maybe this, you know, one group, 
you know, was separated somehow from Saba's group and Yorick's group. And ultimately, either those individual elves or maybe their descendants became what we now call the scary ones. But, you know, they evolved in a different way. And I think the rootless ones is even a more perfect name for them now than it was at their origin. Right. You know, their their name, the rootless ones, to me, was always a reference to the fact that they were exiles on the world of two moons and they were nomadic and they never really could settle anywhere because the humans were all always trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. And now it's taken on a whole new meaning now that they've adopted these sort of vegetative forms, you know, plant, fungus, whatever, and they really don't have roots. You know, they can mm-hmm. move around and we never really even see them with bottom limbs in the in when they're in their testy four limbed you know, version, you know, very yeah. rarely do we see an indication of a lower limb. So they really are rootless. And it's kind of, a, you know, the play on words there, I think, is just kind of genius. It's almost ironic, the naming, right, right. The, of the tribe now, the, the rootless ones. Um, yeah. And I mean, it does sort of uh, infer, you know, like when you hear root, you think of the roots of a tree. So and then these are vegetative, even though they don't actually have roots, like it's sort of like you say, a play on on words there. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, I'm I sort of got the sense in this issue that their story was kind of done, or it was kind of yeah. You know, now that we know who they are, and they're going to be left alone, and Cutter and his heart circle are probably going to go back to the the Holt now, and that part of the tale will continue. Like the rootless ones are are sort of their story is wrapped up, but I don't know about that. I mean, given that they remember Sava and, um, there might still be more. To yeah. Come, I, I, I very much got the same impression. Um, you know, in a way, if you think about it, it's like, you know, in the original quest, you know, we met the preservers, you know, pedal wing followed them. And, but like in, within the context of that, that story, that story arc, like that was kind of it for the preservers in that story. Same thing with the gliders. Same thing with the Sunfolk, if you think about it. You know, they had mm-hmm. their their moment in the spotlight over the course of a few issues, mm-hmm. and they played their role in the story, and then the story moved on. And then, you, you know, you only ever saw them again as sort of nods, right? And right. so I, I was thinking the same thing as what you were just saying, that I think – you know, we now that we've learned who they actually are and mm-hmm. what they are and how they work um, and what they, I think, represent in the story, which is what I, what I think they represent in the story in sort of the symbolic um, interpretation like we were just talking about is, uh, you know, what I was just saying. I think they represent, you know, elfendom, you know, the sort of the, 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 the spirit of the woods, the green men um, that have truly become one with this planet. And my guess is that they're going to stay, that they're not going to leave on the planet. And that's, you know, Cutter kind of says as much, you know, in that, in that last little speech he has to them, like, you know, you can stay hidden here and I get that. And I'm going to tell Sunstream to like lay off you guys as far as the call goes, because you don't want to go anywhere. You've already found this perfect equilibrium and balance and harmony. Um, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a way, um, as I say that, it's all—they're almost like the anti-gliders. In what sense? In the sense that, and, and, okay, so now I'm having this like explosion in my brain. All these things are going off now that I just said that. Okay, so if you think about the gliders, right? They sought 
safety from humans and, you know, sort of, well, safety from humans. Let's just leave it at that. And their choice was to hide and lock themselves behind the walls, which ultimately led to them stagnating and, and really looking backwards, trying to be like the high ones were in the palace. The rootless ones, which, by the way, would have been an offshoot of Vol's group, because we know that Yorick was part of Vol's group from the flashback scene and the character design that Wendy chose. Um, For Yorick. Right. What, what was... The, when when Wendy designed the the visual character of Yorick for the Love Mates calendar, mm-hmm. she lo- she went back to the original um, Blue Mountain scene where Lord Vol is remembering and telling the Wolf Riders his backstory, and there is a character that represents the group of elves that didn't follow Vol into Lord into Blue Mountain. That is Yorick, and so if you think about it, you know. They're the anti-gliders in the sense that some of that group followed Vol and became the gliders. And they looked backwards towards the High Ones, and they locked themselves away from the world. And that ultimately led to their stagnation and downfall. This group did the exact opposite. They embraced the world. They became part of the world. And at the same time, they achieved what the gliders were trying to achieve, which was relative safety from the humans. But instead of again, sort of locking down and, um, and, and, and being excluding life, this group of elves took it radically in the other way, and they, they became forces of life, and they wove themselves into the fabric of the living ecosystem and achieved safety, you know, again, relative safety. I suppose a human could still kill them, or, you know, I suppose the humans could, you know, cut down the forest or burn it down, and that could put them at risk. But generally speaking, they're pretty safe, and they've got an unlimited supply of food, and, 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 you know, again, I'm just, all of this is occurring to me right now as we're talking, but I've never really thought of them that way, but it's hmm. almost like two sides of the same coin. And they didn't yeah. look backwards and, 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 and basically pine over the past that could never be recreated, i.e. the high ones. They looked forward and, you know, kind of took, you know, Tamane's mentality of, all right, so we're here, let's learn the song of this place and become one with it. And that's what right. they did. Yes. And I and I love them even more now that I just have this revelation. <laughs> uh, speaking of songs, uh, we do get an explanation as to how everybody found out Dreon's name because there's been some conjecture about that. Um, it does say in one of the panels here, Skyway says he sang <laughs> he sang us his own name when he first came to the palace. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a snippet there just to confirm that uh, yes, Dreon. Uh, saying his name to everybody, so that's how they found out yep. and, what his name is. And confirmation that he does indeed use words and he can speak. Mm-hmm. He just only does it to you know to 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 a tune. So exactly. Um, so it's like a constant musical. Exactly. Whenever Dreon's around, right? It's like the musical episode of Buffy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, so it'd before... be like one, once more with recognition, or right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, For all those Buffy fans out there, yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact title of that episode, but yeah, it, it was, was once some... more with feeling. It's okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once more with music. <laughs> <laughs> all um, right. So where, so where are we? What have we not? Um... Wait a second. I just want to point something out here. Uh, if you go back to that panel of Cutter and Rayek side by side. Uh-huh. 
two faces. Just the panel above that. Oh, good. That's what. That's what exactly where I was too. Oh, right on. Uh, I just wanted to point out if you zoom in there, uh, you can see the uh, the rootless ones attached to a tree. Just oh, yeah. look at their forms. There, mm-hmm. they are. They're bizarre, right? They're yeah. so different. One of them is upside down on a tree. Its neck is elongated yeah. and its head is looking out at the elves. Like that's something that we've never seen before, as far as the elves are. Yep. Yeah, as far as elves. Uh, it just goes to show you how adaptable these beings are and uh, that their magic is that powerful that they're able to completely transform themselves mm-hmm. beyond anything that we've seen before. I mean, talk about Reef transforming himself into uh, this monster. It's still humanoid in shape, right? right. This, this amphibious creature from the the uh, the vast <laughs> deep sea. Yeah. Um, you know, these are even more so the rootless ones. They're even more strange and uh, bizarre and slightly unnerving, the, these forms that they've taken on. It just goes to show you how, you know, how adaptable the elves are, how much power they possess. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, even even dampened by the effect of the world of two moons, you know, this is a group of ancient and and powerful magic users right that given enough time they were able to you know hone their magical powers to take this radical change and it's really no different than you know the gliders focusing their magic in the rock shaping direction and the floating direction to the point where they they were able to create blue mountain right Mm -hmm. um even even in their um, they're sort of diminished forms. They were able to do that. They didn't need the magic of the palace to do that. And I think it's the same thing with the rootless ones, you know, again, just to make sort of the two sides of a different coin or the same coin analogy with, with them. But I'm glad you brought up that panel because I love that panel so much because a, it's just beautiful to look at and, you know, B, I want to move into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, like I just want to live there. You know, I want to kind of exist in that little wooded glen, kind of like Cutter. You know, he even says that I could disappear here forever and be happy. Yeah. Um, but I also love it too, because of just the detail and the art. And, you know, this is one of those panels where, you know, Wendy obviously took the extra time to like hand draw you know, a new like all those leaves and the background and everything, and and um, you know, it would have been it could you know I could see that just being very easy to sort of do a lot of Photoshop kind of things in there, and the fact that that little extra um, touch was put in of of you know just the detail of the butterfly and the moss, and I just I really appreciated that panel. It really was was it you know a, a, a I think a really good use of of that effort to create this, this sort of lovely scene that kind of captures what the captions are, are kind of saying, you know, connection. It's, it, it's, it's everywhere. The life energies of all who hear, you know, Dreon song, which is all about, you know, seems to be all about like harmony and, and, you know, bridging and, and coming together. And I don't know. I just, I, I really adore that panel. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I can't say anything more than that. I'm just noticing, I didn't notice him before, but, Dreon's in that panel. Yeah, right? yep. Yeah, he's got a yeah. couple butterflies, and yeah. and um, you know, this is where your digital copies of ElfQuest come in handy because you mm-hmm. can zoom in on it and you can see all sorts of you know details that you might not see in the big picture. So, uh, you know, like Red Lance is actually looking at and smiling at the rootless ones as mm-hmm. they're as they're sort of you know you know growing off of that you know that tree trunk there. So, um, 
Yeah. I've got a good sense now of how they move. I, I sort of, I can visualize it, the way yeah. that they're moving, and it's almost like, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but... It, I, 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 my, like, undulating mm-hmm. and sort of, like, growing and, um, you know, that undulating yeah. is probably the best word, but, like, not all, I, uh, like, I almost feel like they're not, as, like, solid, you know, like, I picture a little yeah, bits of yeah. them kind of, like, you know, I don't know, it's hard yes. to describe, but I think, yeah. I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um... Okay, so moving on from there, we've got uh, Dreon and Cutter have a little uh, interaction here where mm-hmm. uh, Cutter tells Dreon he can go back to the palace if he wants, and in fact, Dreon does. He gets on his uh, his awesome My Little Pony and he <laughs> uh, he takes off, headed back to the uh, headed back to the palace, and then one of the rootless ones um, make, well... Splorches out of the ground. Splorches <laughs> out of the ground and sort of looks up at Cutter, I guess, inquisitive as to what's happening, and mm-hmm. Cutter explains that Dreon's going back. Maybe you'll hear a song again, and then he tells them that he will let Sunstream know that the call isn't wanted there and that mm-hmm. they're going to be left alone. Um, and then uh, from there... Like you mentioned, he says that he he could be happy there for the rest of his life if he could hide out in the in the forest with them. Um, and then suddenly, the next page we get this uh, amazing, shocking, brilliant moment where we see somebody we I wasn't expecting to see. Um, do you want to take it from there? Yeah. So we okay. see this. This vision, this mm-hmm. spirit manifestation of Timor and Yellow Eyes, and yeah. you know, I wasn't expecting it, but now, but when it happened, it immediately made me think he's been sort of subtly hinted at and referenced a couple times already. Yeah, he Final has. West. Yes. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. so there's definitely something going on. There is, and um, yeah. you know, Cutter has this sort of you know conversation with himself where he's like, "Oh yeah, you're like." You know, the first Wolf Rider chief, like the first of my in my line, you're my ancestor. And then he's like, and you're also my first child, <laughs> yeah, which is another one of those like, mind. like, right. You really get why Cutter's mind exploded and why he just like yeah. couldn't cope and like fled everything. Um, so I have no idea, literally no, not even a guess what the Timorn connection is and and what it means. But I think let's just go for the ride and, and, and see. Um Yep, but uh, is that is that his spirit, or well, is that just a vision in Cutter's head? Like what? I don't what know, do but think? Cutter says, "Fierce spirit, what do you know?" He does say that, yeah. But we don't know what happened to to Morn. No, right? Is it possible he could still be alive? He would have. He would be mortal. He would have been mortal, but who knows? Right. So, right? you know, it, it, here's the thing. It's like. You know, we within Final Quest, we've seen several other examples of things that we thought were kind of black and white not mm-hmm. being black and white. The rootless ones being one of them. And yeah. you know, and it's not even like retconning, which is like one of my least favorite terms, at least how, how it's typically used, because there's nothing to say. I mean, there's a perfectly plausible explanation, like we were just saying. Like Saba could have thought that all the rootless ones got killed, and so that's what she told the Sunfolk and the Wolf Riders. But there's nothing to say that that was the case, right? And so, 
um, in the original flashback to the Wolf Rider's history, back in the original quest that we saw, I think, in, what, issue number 13 of the original quest when Cutter and Winnowill are having their first real battle, and you get the Wolf Rider's backstory, it does say that he aged and died because he was mortal. Um, yes, there. you're right. Okay. So it says that. Okay. And to me... Yeah, it would. It I, you know, it makes perfect sense that he would be he would have died, and the fact that again we're seeing these sort of spirit versions of him, that seems consistent with the fact that he's dead. But all of that said, at this stage of the game, you all know that it's dangerous to assume anything that Wendy and Richard are going to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what it might be? Maybe, you know, maybe it's 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 Timorn that's somewhere that. You know, is the connection to the key, and maybe the key is going to release him somehow. I don't know. Maybe he's sending his spirit out in the same way that you know Sunstream and Winnowill and Reef can do. You know, I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. And like you mentioned, there's the key, right? Uh, yeah. I says, called this. I called this back. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many issues ago. You know which one I'm talking about, though, right? One of the earlier issues when Cutter first was holding the key. Yeah. I said that key is going to play a part in this story. Yeah. There's something more to that. Yeah. So I am taking full... Uh... <laughs> yeah, full credit. Credit? Uh, I'm taking full credit. credit um, well, and, and, you know, since since um, we're, we're, you know, by the time we're finally recording this, we've actually now at this stage already seen the mm-hmm. cover mm-hmm. for issue number 18. Spoiler alert. Which will be out in January. And that sucker has the key, Mm -hmm. and it's what looks to be Cutter's hand, tattered and covered in blood, in front of Two Edges Armory up in the Frozen Mountains, which is what the key physically opens. Right. Opens those doors. So who knows what the hell is in there? Right? Right. So you're right. It's obviously playing some key role, no pun intended. Uh. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah so i don't know i mean what is, is tim Orn in there um are the, is there still armor in there that the elves are going to use to fight the 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 you know the humans um is there something else in there what's the ancient wrong that has been referred to you know i don't know somehow Timorn, the key and two edge and two edge are connected okay so let's talk about that for a second Two Edge and Timorn are both the product of like hybrids. Yeah, they're 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 sort of bi species. So yeah. what? And, and you know what? I honestly don't even want to speculate beyond that. And then in a, in a way, Cutter is kind of. In what sense? Well, they're all sort of like these combinations of two things, right? Well, Cutter like Cutter is kind of like. Now that we know he's. Essentially a high one, but also a wolf rider. Sure, right, yeah. I, in a slightly different way, you know. Yeah, in a slightly different way. Not in not in the materialistic sense, right? right? right. More exactly. in the spiritual yep. sense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, in that sense, sure, right? Um, so right, they are these two, these beings that are made up of two really different parts. Mm-hmm, yes. So what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what does it all mean? Is it know. something to do maybe with, okay, Two-Edge being in conflict with these two halves of himself, but Tamorn was able to come 
was able to find peace within that? I don't know. Was he able and to find peace? Was he? Uh, <laughs> good question. But if he was, what if somehow Tamorn and Two Edge could heal that that conflict together? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we we haven't seen much of Tamorn as a character. We no. haven't seen really anything of Tamorn as a character within the you know the main story arc of ElfQuest told by Wendy and Richard. We have seen him a little bit more in the Blood of Ten Chiefs novelizations. Um, and Richard actually wrote the very first story of Timorn in the very first Blood of Ten Chiefs novel that really dealt with this character's struggle, um, you know, t- to find that balance and that identity and, you know, being this, you know, this, this creature of, you know, of, of, of a line of spacefaring shape changers and this this wild animal, right? Um, and that story actually got adapted into the the first issue of the Blood of Ten Chiefs comic book, um, Colors, that was so beautifully painted by um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm blanking on her name, Janice Johnston. Is that it? Um, uh, it sounds familiar. Something like that. Yeah. Um, my yeah. apologies if I butchered your name and you're listening, but um, <laughs> Janine Johnson. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know what the answer to that question is. You know, did did Timorn ever, you know, reconcile these two wildly different halves? And did he ever find peace? Or, you know, I mean, other authors picked up his storylines in those those novelizations, and they may or may not be canonical. Um, we'll kind of see with what Wendy and Richard do. But this idea that Timorn was torn between the the Star Song and the Wolf Song was something that was really explored in there. And, and ultimately in those books, he kind of, you know, he left the tribe under Ronnie to just kind of sort all of that out because he was trying to deal with that conflict on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll see how much, if any of that actually makes it into final quest and what Wendy and Richard decide um, on that. But I, I think it's safe to say there's something left to do with Timorn in the rest of this story. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I feel like they're like, I almost feel what it, what it is, but I can't really put it all together yet. Yeah. Like I just feel these like tendrils of what they are and they're sort of just like brushing at the edges of my brain and I'm trying to, you know, bring it all together into something that, that coalesces into, you know, what could all of this mean? All these puzzle pieces. Yeah. They're just sort of like, swimming outside of my head right now and i'm trying to place them together you <laughs> well know? you're because I, I feel like the the threads are all there i think so too yeah and yeah. you're you're much better than me at like coalescing all that into like a coherent thought and prediction so i just know. have to sleep on it i'll yeah. sleep on it and we'll see what happens <laughs> i was gonna but, say yeah if you, if, yeah if you can't figure it out then i don't think <laughs> i think i'm not even gonna bother trying <laughs> uh cutter looks at the key though and he says without this no star no star home, home. Right. What does that mean? What does the key have to do with them going yep. to the Star Home? What is in the the vault in the armory that connects to them going back to the Star Home? And that's the question. My first thought was, you know, with the key, okay, well, here comes the human army. Let's go back to that armory mm-hmm. and get that damn armor 
and all those weapons if they're still there. Right. Well, number one, it's been 10,000 years. We know the trolls have access there. And there's no, like, the Gobacks took their armor with them. Who knows where the Wolf Riders did what they did with theirs, but I can pretty much assure you that they didn't march back into that armory and dump it all there or put it back on the wall. No. But, so I don't okay. Think- there might be some armor left in there, and I think in we that, did see some the last time we were in there, which was in the beginning yeah. of Kings of the Broken Wheel, when um, Picknose and his family were hiding in there. But yes. I don't think there's any reason to think that there's like you know dozens of sets of complete armor sitting in there for the elves to come and take. But even if there's one, not that it, that even matters. But we have Tree Stump and we have Two Edge. Okay, they could go back to that armory and start making more armor true and we know from tree stump's dream in dream time that something about making weapons and elves making weapons and armor leads to something really bad right um all right now you've you're you're sort of swaying me that there might be something to do with armor because at first i was like no that has nothing to do with it but Interesting. And I'm mm-hmm. stroking my beard quizzically here. <laughs> trying to figure out what all that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these threads, right, that yeah. are are starting to come together and they're just like sort of the ends are just sort of touching. Yeah. Well I think end, um you know? I think for sure this question of the key and Timorn and Two Edge are gonna be at the at the center of you know, what is going to be the last, you know, sort of story arc within Final Quest, which will be kicking off with issue 18. Um, if I get my math right, right? Or no, maybe issue 18 is the last, because what, it's six issues? Volume one was um, the first six issues. Volume two was seven. Yeah, 18 12. will be the last right. one of this, uh, yeah. this quarter. Right, so I think we're we're getting led into that. With you know one more reference to the key, we'll get a little bit more info about it. Another reference to Timorn. I, I think they're going to wrap up these you know this current story thread. I think well, this issue ends with the Junslanders making landfall on Ice Holt, which is where um, you know the original Holt and um, the Wolf Riders are right now. And so, um, where's yeah. my boy Rayek? I want Rayek out there right now. <laughs> Kill them, Rayek! Do it! You know, as much as that would be gratifying on some <laughs> level, um, you know, also boring, right? Like, Rayek blows up the humans, problem solved. Let's, you know. Yeah, I, I, you know. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, that is where the issue ends, and we have these, you know, lovely, ominous, you know, crows flying, which, of course, are a symbol of... Um, you know, sort of impending war and all of that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we sort of have this almost like, you know, like Columbus finding America and the conflict that ensued. You know, mm-hmm. I get this very sort of mm-hmm. like John Smith landing in Virginia and, you know, what's going to happen, you know, when the the native populations, you know, how is that interaction going to happen? And, um, mm-hmm. Except that these aren't explorers. These these are, guys um, are, you know, they're an army. Yeah. Their uh, purpose is to wipe out the elves. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but I can hear the drums of war when I look at this last page. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And we have this little uh, inset with uh, Ekwar in his cozy little rock home, which yes. I notice you want to live in. Uh, <laughs> totally. Don't we all? With totally. Ekwar. As long as Ekwar is there, I'm yeah. cool with living in a rock house. Um, the wrapped up body of Two Edge would be a little uh, unnerving, but, you know, otherwise. Um, and that, doesn't that look so comfy that uh the bed with the furs on oh, it. oh totally yeah. yeah and like the little table with the little you know wooden spoons and bowls i just want to eat like a stew that i cooked on the fire <laughs> <out of that. laughs> wrapped in a car blanket and looking out the window yeah. exactly totally <laughs> <laughs> but so we get that peaceful little shot you know and and uh cutters words i want to edge you know so we're left with that like what the hell what's happening and then um this fleet of the this armada coming to shore and i can hear those crows cawing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the drums of war right yep and kind of seeing them just sort of swirl and fly around this yeah this again imposing armada and impending doom sort of seeping out of it i just yeah i think it's Mm -hmm. it's a great way to end the issue so. Absolutely. One last thing about uh, covers and the key. Okay. Uh, next issue, we've got Cutter holding the key as well. Um, I'm, refresh my memory on the cover. I'm completely blanking on issue. It's, oh, right. a, yes, gr- yes, it's yes, a group yeah. shot yeah. of Cutter's heart circle, and That's he's right. in the foreground, and he's holding up the key in his hand, and then we've got the uh, the rootless ones uh, in the background. There's the female one in, in front mm-hmm. of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that key, what the hell is happening with that freaking key, man? Yeah, There's well, something going on, very important. Yeah, and hopefully mm-hmm. in the next issue, which will be out in November, um, you know, just over a month away, actually, by the time you guys are going to hear this, um, the hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about that key. The fact that it's featured on the cover tells me that we will, but you never mm-hmm. know. So, um, so. I don't really have anything else to say about this issue other than I did want to give a shout out to Sonny because the colors in this issue are pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, the sunset colors of the initial scenes with, with Rayek and then the subtle changes in color during um, Rayek's battle with Winnowill and Reef's encounter in the spirit realm, just really nice little details. I mean, even to the, the, the sort of the stormy sky in at the end of that scene where, where Rayek flies off is just, you know, the lightning and the, and the, the, the gray green of the ocean and the black sky. It's just really evocative. Um, so props to Sonny on that. Yeah. Excellent coloring in, in this issue. Uh, I just want, I have one last thing to say. Um, well, maybe not the last, but, uh, just a shout out to, uh, Murph. My favorite oh, go-back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like he's my, like, in-story avatar at the moment. <laughs> Why? Because he's like, kill him, shoot him, yeah. pick him up. Yeah, I, I love Murph. Murph is, Murph is my guy. I, I like, I like yeah. Murph, too. And, yeah. um, and, no, I was glad for him in, in that little scene because he does represent a good argument that really needs to be dealt with. Like, why don't we just use the palace to obliterate everything? And exactly. it's a good vehicle for... You know, this explanation um, in this gorgeous panel, which we didn't talk about, um, but, you know, of of Tamane, you know, who has now regained her ability of of floating, um, Mm -hmm. which we saw when we when we originally met her at the end of the original quest. She herself was, 
you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, crippled by the power of the world of two moons and couldn't do it. So, um, you know, and she gives this explanation of, and, and by the way, I love this because it's not just sort of like, all right, here's how we're getting around the fact that the palace is all powerful. It actually makes so much sense. And the way it's so in character for Tumane, who is, you know, in many ways, because she's so ancient and goddess-like, is almost divorced from, you know, the, 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 the cares and the worries of mere mortals, if you will. You know, she's not saying, like, we can't use the palace because all the hate and violence will taint it, and that's bad. She's like, you know, and, and because killing is bad. She's like, go out and kill. Go have a war. But just do it because you care passionately about it and because you're living life. I'm not going to judge you one way or the other. Just you can't do it here. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, and I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I do too. I, I really liked, uh, Tamane in this panel here. Uh, she seems much more down to earth and the way she explains things to the go-backs especially is very, you know, um, uh, approachable for them. I was going to say simple, simplified, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's very, the, the, um, the the metaphor the analogy she makes or well not analogy or metaphor but you know she's just she just makes it very clear yeah. what their choices are and it's not like she's she's not judging them right. in any way totally. for wanting to make war she's just saying yeah if you guys want to do this then go for it but we're not getting involved we yeah. have other things that we're doing so exactly yeah and yeah. it's so it's so in character for her you know like, mm. whereas someone like Saba I couldn't imagine saying that you know like I think Sava is such a creature of peace and reconciliation, mm-hmm. um, and and again maternal love in the story that you know that it would be totally out of character for her to say that Sava would say yes. you know no we're not using the palace because again it will taint the palace and that's a bad thing you know she but 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 to Maine, it's totally again in character for her to be sort of a, like a couple steps above it all and just being like you know all I care about is that you, my children, my descendants have learned the lesson of pain and are living your life and doing it out of a place of passion. Like that's, and, you, what, and, yeah. and war doesn't matter to me. Go kill. Just right. do it joyously. <laughs> and exactly. And you know what? Timaine is not above fighting. Right. She, she fought Winnow Will. Yeah. Tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Right. On the physical plane. Like it wasn't even on the spiritual plane they were physically fighting each other. Yeah. Um, so she's not above that. I think Tamane recognizes that there are times when there's justified use of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whereas, like you say, someone like Sava is much more, you know, finding the peaceful uh, avenue and, and way to conflict re- resolution. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tamane, I almost feel like Tamane is sort of, her energy can be sort of chaotic at times, but like a benevolent chaotic. Like she's not a, she's so beyond what we can comprehend that motivations or actions that she takes um, that we might construe as being, you know, uh, ultimately bad if we mm-hmm. want to categorize it as that in the larger picture of things she might see that motivation or her motivation has uh i don't know if i'm <laughs> if i'm putting this correctly i'm trying to i'm trying to vocalize what i'm thinking here well but, um 
Yeah, no, I think I, I get what you're trying to say, and I can't articulate it either, other than to say that this is exactly what makes Timane god godlike, you know. And I don't mean God, right. Christian God with a capital G. I mean like the concept of a god, like a being that is powerful and bigger like than cosmic, than, right? Cosmic than what we mere mortals can really understand. Like that mm. is like you what what you were trying to articulate is 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 everything about her that makes her so, you know, and that yeah. is very different than, you know, I think, I think it's easy to make the mistake of thinking like, Oh, you know, again, Sava to powerful, ancient, tall, you know, they're kind of just sort of, you know, they're, 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 they're too similar. They're just sort of repetition of each other, but they're not, they're totally different. And what you I'm, were just trying to say is a great example of it. Almost like, okay. If I want to put it into maybe like a- angelic beings, Sort of, if you think about them that way, Tamane can be more of the avenging, like archangel, whereas Sava is more of like the the loving energy, sort yeah. of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, manifested. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's sort of how I see it. I think that's a great way to put it. And you know that my absolute all-time favorite uh, way of describing what. ElfQuest elves are is Wendy's, and and that is that they're equal parts angel and wild animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that so perfectly captures what ElfQuest elves are and why they're different than so many other you know pop culture versions of what elves are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it captures their 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 godlikeness or their demigodlikeness and also their feralness all in one, and that's exactly what draws me to them. Right. Yeah. Yes. Don't you love how we were like, all right, so that's it. Nothing more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go on for another 10 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I do think now at this point, um, I don't have anything else to say. No. Um, uh, I think this is probably one of my, if not my favorite issues so far. Cool. I think this issue and the previous issue together. Mm-hmm. Because they really are, you know, the last issue was all movement and energy and build up, and this issue kind of, you know, uh, co- completed that. I think they're kind of, they kind of go hand in hand, and so I agree with you. This chunk of the story, the mm-hmm. final quest, yeah, is pretty awesome. I just felt like it was so tight in all aspects, like art, story, dialogue, everything. It was just that the the pacing. Everything was on point. Yeah, totally um, agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and one last thing, one final thing for me. <laughs> Hashtag Team Rayek. <laughs> all right, you heard it, everybody. If you are Team Rayek and you are all for the obliteration of the, you know, the Junsmen and the human race on the world of two moons, let us know. And um, <laughs> I guess my hashtag will be uh, hashtag Sa- hashtag Sava. Okay. If you're Team Sava and you want everybody to sort of be reconciled and love and, and all that good stuff, and yeah, so so <laughs> somehow I think I'm going to be on the losing end of this, but <laughs> <laughs> I know I know I know how you Elfquest fans think, you know. So can't um, you do polls on Facebook? We, we totally could, yeah. So maybe we'll do that once we um, once this episode comes out and then give everybody a chance to listen, but. Um, but uh, yeah, with that, with that said, speaking of Facebook, um, I also want to uh, end by giving uh, just saying thanks to everybody that um, proposed 
topics of conversation. I think we pretty much hit all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, again, as always, thanks for your patience as Ryan and I juggle our schedules and technical issues and, you know, Skype bombed on us the first time we tried to record Mm. this one. So we're, we're kind of like three for three, these last three, um, episodes, we've run into a bunch of problems, but you know, we'll get, we'll get it out to you, um, eventually as I hope, um, you know, you've sat and listened and, 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 you know, seen, listened and enjoyed the episode. So, um, on that note, I think we're probably ready to go into what we promised at the top of the episode, and that is the full um, the full song from Julia Eckler. Ek- as I Eckwar? No, that's what I that's what I almost said. Um, give me a second because I need to look up the name of the song again. It is uh, the Troll King. Yes, it's Julia Eckler's Troll King's Dream which was a song that was written um, to go with the songs on the Wolf Riders Reflections, but never released. She's now released it. So um, we'll put a link to her website in the show notes for this episode. So enjoy it, and we will see you next time. I dreamed of power with my youth. I paid, I spent my youth. Each filthy hour sharpening wit and sharpening sword. Slaughtering coward and slaughtering lord. Wallowing deep in my blood spattered My throne I cared not for Their pleas or reasons They all sought to kill me So justice be damned I ended their scheming With one harsh command And reaped out sweet justice With my own bare hands And mortared my halls with their bones Gray wolves and reindeer with him 
the wolves hunt and kill at their young leader's word. The deer are insane and attack as a herd. In armor-clad fury, I find quite absurd. I am the troll king, this I took my reign and hunt every reindeer and let them know pain. I'll find everyone till no threat can remain and thus prove wrong what this dream has told. Like the king.